Welcome to episode 143 of the Grip Strip Podcast, the championship season edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, plenty to talk about in regards to the triple header at Phoenix to finish the NASCAR season in the top three series, uh, along with uh, other series around the world, both uh, MotoGP and Moto2 and Super GT. Uh, in Japan. So those are two series um, that we'll get into in the GSP roundup. We'll also talk about the final race of the 2022 World Endurance Championship at Bahrain and the last race of the Rally Championship in Japan uh, before NFL Week 9 discussion and previews and picks for the Brazilian Grand Prix. And um, our usual segments, Josh, the Sim segment, and the like. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm your host, and I'm with my co-host, Joshua Fine, coming off of a birthday celebration where he watched his Jacksonville Jaguars uh, beat the uh, um, Las, Las Vegas, Vegas Raiders. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they should be in Oakland or L.A. or wherever. Maybe they should be in the... They should be in, in a van down by a river. They're they're pretty hopeless, but the Jacksonville Jaguars did work. Uh, Trevor Lawrence actually looked like a quarterback, and uh, Travis Etienne is the truth. Yeah, I mean, Travis Etienne uh, didn't have the best game, but he had two touchdowns. And um, yeah, Trevor, I I don't think he was the reason why they won necessarily. He didn't like outright win it for them, but he was played solid, didn't make any mistakes, and uh, helped helped the team to get a win. So yeah, it was a pretty exciting watch, and yeah, pretty pretty fun uh, experience. And yeah, of course, a uh, good way to celebrate birthday and everything uh getting a w there in jacksonville and um seeing that of course uh seeing a fan go out and streak on the field in his shorts or whatever and uh they probably could have put that guy in the lineup because he looked like he had some speed to him uh, as well but yeah uh a good weekend there of course and you know we, uh of course we got nascar championship weekend that we got to talk about and you know there's a lot of uh interesting things that happen you know throughout you know trucks race the xfinity and even the cup side so yeah ready to get into it and we have a special guest today somebody who i've known for a few years and has been on this show before a nascar expert a media representative over time uh, a responsible father and husband these days uh celebrating his giants being good again so um, that's something for him to celebrate during the rest of this year since nascar is over um great to have the uh, talking in circles was part of what kind of got me going on this path um, and i'm thankful for that because of this man right here clayton caldwell um, for the great job he did in his level of preparation i definitely don't meet that level of preparation with this show but i think it's part of what Bring, makes the charm of the GSP, but um, Clayton, I'm glad to have you on on this uh, day that is the first day of the now 2022 NASCAR postseason. A lot went on at Phoenix this past weekend. We kind of see the future of the sport and kind of connections to the past uh, all through everything that went on this past weekend at Phoenix, uh, and thanks for coming on the GSP. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, and yeah, uh, it is nice to actually have a football t- season in november for you know as giant fans we don't really experience that the last uh s- several years you know our season's been over in november so uh it's been nice to have that and uh yeah racing was was good i mean it it's certainly a lot to talk about at phoenix uh you know pagano winning the second championship uh and it 
doesn't seem like that long ago when Mark Martin was sitting there telling us about this kid Joey Logano and how everybody should pay attention to him. And he could be winning cup races at the age of 14, Mark Martin always said about him. And it took a little bit of a time. You know, he struggled at Joe Gibbs, you know, that 20 car, and a shadow of Tony Stewart there for a little while. Zippadelli, and I don't think him and Zippy saw eye to eye there. And then, bam, you know, he got to Penske, and he's really done well. And, uh, you know, however you feel about this championship format, um, certainly, you know, that, that's another discussion for another day. But he's got two championships now, 31 wins. And, uh, you know, certainly putting himself into the conversation of a guy who could be one of the greats of all time. Um, and went out there and really, I, I thought, you know, I know there was, um, other drivers who led Ryan Blaney, his teammate got up there and led, but really it was, it was Logano's race and really Logano's championship to lose. Uh, Ross finished third and had a decent day, you know, uh, Bell, you know, uh, he had some issues and, you know, not to totally take over or say anything, but poor Christopher Bell. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's tough enough to run for the championship, and to have your focus solely on racing and for him to you know have his first championship race in in the number 20 and just be really um you know have to prepare for a championship and now all of a sudden the news comes that you know one of the hierarchy people probably your boss i guess the person you probably report to more than even joe coy passes away and just the distraction of all that going on and you know having to mentally um cope with that and then run for a championship uh I, I felt bad for Christopher Bell. I really did. It, 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 I couldn't even imagine um, what he what he would have what would have been in his um, you know would have gone through his brain. Um, yeah. And and so uh, you know, despite the circumstances, he did he did pretty well. Um, you know, and and I think it was a learning year for Christopher Bell. I don't know if he had a great year. You could say great year, but he got to the final four. And uh, you know, so. Uh, overall, I think it was the Logano's championship to really lose, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely, and I'd be remiss uh, if we don't give our condolences here on the GSP to the family of uh, Coy Gibbs, to Coach Joe Gibbs, uh, Ty Gibbs, who we'll mention later, uh, is the Xfinity Series champion after quite a week. Um, he was able to celebrate with his mom and dad and his grandfather on start-finish line and or whatever, and that was the last pictures that we have of Coy Gibbs is with him and his son um, celebrating his son's triumph and accomplishment, um, winning that championship, knowing more or less that he's going to be taking over the 18 car and probably um, an absolute um, one of the greatest moments he, you would think for a father to see your son uh, be able to accomplish a dream, a goal that they probably had from very little. Um, so, uh, condolences, thoughts to the family, uh, of the Gibbs family in this uh, tough time. And it definitely affected, um, the Gibbs organization yesterday in general and people connected to that group and even ones that aren't like directly connected to it at the moment, but still it is a family. NASCAR is a close knit community like most motorsports communities. And a lot of people were affected by, the loss and considering how sudden it was um, literally hours after the Xfinity series ended um, the rumors were all over social media, family emergency. And when I read that and that tie wasn't going to drive, I had the thought that it was either, you know, coach Gibbs or could have been something with his dad. I mean, I really didn't think like, okay, maybe his dad was in the hospital. Something was like, okay, fine. 
or something like something was with, but I could, I maybe something would have happened with his grandfather, but that's just, it's insane to think that Joe Gibbs has to bury both of his sons. Um, there's a neurological, it was a degenerative neurological disorder that took on uh, Ty or not Ty. I mean, um, JD from us a few years ago, who was basically the guy that ran Gibbs, uh, the, the company. And then Coy was, forced into that role in a sense coming off of the motorcycle um dirt bike side and um was been the led the team for the last few years last couple two three years and now he's gone so you gotta wonder what the succession plans are you gotta wonder what what's gonna happen there it's kind of a talk that is going on with penske um uh, earlier this year in regards to all the different entities that he's involved with and all the different um, uh, deals that are going on there at 85 years of age. And, you know, you can also look at it also with um, Roush, Fenway, Keselowski, with Brad Keselowski coming in. And with something we'll also talk about here after we go over this cup race um, with Jimmy Johnson adding his name to ownership, you know, Jeff Gordon, who essentially is the guy at Hendrick Motorsports now. We're seeing the new age of ownership, and it's coming with a lot of the um, great drivers um, in the sport over time. But now we have to wonder about what that'll be with uh, the Gibbs organization. Um, but that's not right now. That's not a, we can't discuss that now, of course. But I figure it will be a discussion to have um, in the coming months and years um, once things kind of settle down. As Clayton mentioned, Joey Logano won at Phoenix. Uh, in the finale for the Cup Series, dominated the race, qualified on pole, basically similar to 2018 when he went in there with uh, saying we were the favorites and went out there and won that deal. He did the same thing again uh, yesterday. Fourth win of the year, uh, third at Phoenix, and 31st win of his Cup Series career, 29th at Penske Racing. Um it's going to take a little bit of time for her. He, he needs to win uh, a few more races. Uh, to, what is it? Another six or five or whatever to get to Brad's number uh, that he had at Penske Racing. But he's more likely going to pass Brad for the most cup wins at Penske. Uh, and he might set every other NASCAR record for Penske, too. Uh even with them not really having an affinity or truck presence anymore because he's that young. 31 wins, 32 years old, two championships. The only Him and Kyle Busch are the only multi-time champions out on the grid starting next year. Um, it's crazy to think that where Joey Logano was a decade ago, where he might have been out of the sport because of a tough start to his career, and Brad Keselowski said to Roger Penske, we should look at Joey Logano as a possibility to take over the 22 car when the whole situation, A.J. Allmendinger had his situation. They had a revolving door of drivers. And nine years later, two championships, Daytona win, win in a lot of the biggest races. He's won the Clash a few times. He's done everything. He's done what everyone and Mark Martin said he would do. Um, he has become a multi-time Cup Series champion. He led uh, 187 of the 312 laps in the race yesterday. Ryan Blaney was his main competition. Uh, 
nine over yeah basically you look at yeah so 187 one, 287 and nine well no that's no so they let over like they they let all but what is it oh 15 16 laps yeah all but 16 laps of that race which is just insane 290 yeah that's just insane but it is phoenix um it's kind of what the racing is they didn't put the spray down this race and kind of affected things i think a little bit but joey logano gets the victory ryan blaney finishes second ross chastain from 25th finishes third Uh, a lot of focus on him we'll talk about it in a minute chase briscoe uh, finishes fourth try had a chance he was leading late after late restart ran up front all day finishes ninth in points huge day for ford in general um kevin harvick gets yet another top 10 breaks a record that he had with uh richard petty and dale earnhardt for the most top 10s consecutively at one racetrack William Byron, sixth. Kyle Busch in his last race for Joe Gibbs and M&M's finishes seventh. Denny Hamlin, eighth. Kyle Larson, who was battling for the owner's championship and is the defending winner and champion of the series, defending winner of this race champion of the series, finishes ninth. Christopher Bell finishes tenth. Um, Daniel Hemrick, who was filling in for Ty Gibbs in the 23 car, jumped in, started tailback, and finished 17th. Uh, so credit to him kind of speaks to the fact that he's pretty good in a cup car. He can do stuff in a cup car, but he's not so good in an Xfinity car. Um, Chase Elliott finished 28th. Um, Brad Keselowski caught on fire uh, because of the exhaust deal they have going on there. So, uh, Josh, I'll throw to you first. Um, Joey Logano, two-time champion, domination, basically said that what was going to happen, and he did it. It's similar to what Tony did uh in 2011 but it was not even it wasn't as much psychological it was just they went out there and they were more they were prepared they were better prepared than the other teams none of these other teams really seemed to have what they needed uh this whole weekend to do what they needed to do to possibly beat Joey Logano and the 22 team and now he inserts himself in fine company with uh, the great late great David Pearson being the first multi-time Ford champion since david pearson uh so that tells you how bad it's been for ford and winning championships in nascar um yeah it is true uh there's been a bunch of one-time champions for ford over the years um the likes of alan kawicki and dale jarrett and um matt kenseth and kurt Kurt bush and um after that uh yeah joey was one there um brad won for dodge um kevin harvick one for Chevy when SHR was still at Chevy. Um, trying to think about other Ford champions over Bill time. Elliott. Bill Elliott was 87 mm-hmm. and uh, should have won in 80 or 88. My fault that Rust uh, Dale was 87, Bill was 88, Rusty was 89. And um, before Bill, awesome Bill, uh, I don't know. It Pearson was why. Might have been Pearson because. You think about Mr. The King drove Mopars and GM products. Kale Yarbrough drove GM oh. products for for Junior Johnson. Uh, Bobby Allison drove a Buick when he won for Die Guard. Uh, so did Daryl Waltrip. And Daryl Waltrip drove Buicks and Chevys. Um, yeah, it, it is David yeah. Pearson. Benny Parsons drove a Chevy. Um, so yeah, yeah, it tells you how, I mean, Chevys win the manufacturer's title, but 
they they've also won a lot of championships. It also helps they go with the, some of the best teams. So uh, Joey Logano goes out there and gets the win, and it really wasn't close. Yeah, I mean, it's not really close at all. I mean, I think as soon as he won the poll, um, he had a pretty good feeling that you know Joey Logano was probably going to end up winning the race, and um, just the you know the way that the race this race played out with the way that the next gen car races, and you know plus you know knowing that the top four are probably going to have and plus five, if you want to count Larson in there as well, you know, probably going to have some, some type of advantage over the field. They're going to have a little bit more uh, leeway. Um, yeah, just a uh, complete domination. Um, and it wasn't really close. Some, you know, there's a bit of the, you know, part of the race where uh, Ryan Blaney had the lead. And um, at the end, I thought maybe Ryan Blaney might be able to go up and pass his teammate, but um, either he started to lay off and, not put Logano in, under any pressure, which would have opened the door for possibly Ross Chastain to get up there, but you know managed to stay behind his teammate and fall in, into second. So they started exactly, or they finished exactly where they started uh, there with you know Logano first and Ryan Blaney second. But yeah, just the uh, you know this race overall, and you know there there wasn't really a whole lot of you know passing once they got um, you know in a green flag run. Um, really, uh, I mean, you had to see, um, variation in tire wear, which, you know, if you had new tires, certainly better than older tires, look at what Chase Elliott was able to do in the middle of the race and unlap himself and, you know, brief, briefly get back into the top five, uh, before he got spun out on one of the last restarts, but, you know, just a complete domination by team Penske and, you know, really, uh, Joey Logano. So, uh, you know, crazy how he started the year winning at the clash, um, and, you know, it was kind of, kind of an interesting deal there. And then, um, you know, he goes out and wins the Southern or not the Southern 500, but the Goodyear 400 wins, wins at gateway, wins, wins this race, you know, just, um, really, a un- unusual season where, you know, we didn't really see a whole lot of domination out of anybody really, uh, you know, maybe Chase Elliott was the closest to, uh, to that, but, you know, in the final 10 races, he didn't really get the job done. But yeah, the, this was um, you know just a complete you know good effort by uh, Team Penske there, and you know you have to um, wonder if they're gonna you know next year you know are, are they gonna be the favorites, the early season favorites you know between Logano and uh, Ryan Blaney, and you know even throw in Austin Cindric with his road course experience you know are are they gonna you know be the early favorites right out of the gate coming into twenty twenty three? You know we'll we'll have to see, but yeah, just uh. When they they dominated when it counted, you know, in a year of parity where you know there wasn't really any true, um, you know, number one team. You know, they're the ones that come out on top at at the end of the day. And it's something to look at with when you consider Ford uh, struggled all year uh, in general. I mean, Penske had their moments. Stuart Haas, of course, with Chase Briscoe early in the year, and and Almirola early in the year looked like they had something going, but then that went away. And then Howarvik came back when he was in a essentially must-win scenario to get himself in the playoffs, get two wins in a row, and then it all blew up in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I th- honestly thought he was a title favorite after his his run uh, late in the in the summer there, uh, Clayton. But you know, we talk about Ford and 
them coming through and being able to win this championship was just huge going into next season for Penske. First time Penske has won. It's interesting. 31 years he's been involved in both IndyCar and NASCAR together as an owner. First time he's actually won both titles um, in the same year, which is, I know Ganassi attempted to do that uh, for his time when he was in both series and uh, he had maybe one shot, maybe two shots to do it uh, in uh, with the NASCAR side. But Penske has had way more opportunities over the years because his IndyCar program is elite. His NASCAR program has kind of always been maybe, you know, they we compare them in a same type of level as a Hendrick or whatever, but maybe in half a step below. In this case, they come through. But I'm going to go to you in regards to Hendrick. They had two opportunities to win championships yesterday. Uh, William Clyde Elliott II is a 2020 series champion at a D wasn't able to qualify that year. And his car was a rocket ship. He came from tailback and won the race with relative ease. I think Jimmy Johnson, that was his final race as a full-time cup competitor. I think he had the best car and they wouldn't allow him to win because they wanted the box office deal. I think we talked about it on that show, but whatever on talking in circles. And then last year, Kyle Larson qualified on pole, had the pit stop to win and won the race yesterday. Neither one of those cars were a factor. Um, in it's like a major factor. Elliot was a regular season champion. He had the most points, uh, playoff points, and he needed every one of those because if he hadn't had them, he wouldn't have made the final four. It cost him a chance at the owners' championship. And then Larson was off this year in general, wasn't as, anywhere near as prolific as he was last year in his 10 win campaign. Um, that everyone has said, oh, well, you know, he's the new second coming or whatever, going in there and dominating. He didn't seem as dominant with this car. Um, does this go down as a, uh, I mean, is this a full-on disappointment for Hendrick Motorsports, considering how they were the best team, I think, for a good part of this season in general? Um, all four of their drivers won a race this year um, to have a, have a, I have an advantage early in this next gen car, gen seven package and to come away empty. That's not what Hendrick Motorsports is about, really. Um, and they didn't have a great day the day before either in the Xfinity program. Yeah, no, it. I think it's a little surprising. And I think Josh really hit on it when you watched qualifying on Saturday and you saw the speed out of uh, the 12 or the 22, I should say, excuse me, and really the Penske cars in general. And then you looked at, you know, where the Hendrick cars were that, you know, needed to have a, a, a solid day. And, and, you know, you saw uh, Larson had a good lap and sort of Chase Elliott, but really where near Logano was. And I, when the first part of the race started, you kind of saw how Logano just took off and was really dominant. You usually see that from when Chase won his championship, you saw that immediately. You saw he went out front and just kind of dominated and just left the class, the field all by himself. And Larson had done that all last year. I mean, Larson did that. Larson was the key guy. And you know, I think it was more of this X-Gen car in a way was, you know, I, I won't get into my problems with it, but it, it was interesting in a way because it seemed like nothing carried over. You know, sometimes you'd see a guy in this old car where if, like you said with Harvick, for example, you know, you have a guy who would find something and you'd say, oh, they're going to find it for the next 10 weeks and really just take off. 
I felt like with this next gen car at different type of racetracks, maybe it was the the uh, margin of error for this car. It just seemed like when somebody had a good week, it, it didn't carry over at all. You could go back, you know, following week and they'd be horrible. Um, so that was sort of interesting, and I felt like. You know, for Hendrick, Chase didn't have a great playoff. Uh, you know, second at Bristol, but you look at his finishes, you know, aside from Talladega, which is sort of a uh, outlier itself to begin with. You know, Charlotte Rebel 20th. Las Vegas, he finished 21st. Homestead 14th. Uh, you know, was running decent at Martinsville, but ended up 10th. Uh, you know, Kansas 11th. You know, it just seemed like Chase could never really find that momentum in the playoffs, that consistency. And Larson, you know, going into uh, Phoenix was running pretty well. I mean, he, he, you know, wasn't great all year, but, um, you know, going into Phoenix, he he had some good runs leading up to that race. So you felt a little bit better, I think, about how things were were headed for Larson. But again, it just seemed like, for whatever reason, um, things for Hendrick this year, really just they couldn't find that momentum. And you knew going in, again, qualifying you knew going into this week at phoenix that was going to be the the big the big deal where you could really wade qualifying because you sat there and said this is what basically what you bring to the racetrack is what you got we've learned all year that the previous week really didn't matter so as soon as Logano went out and let one qualifying it and and put the laps together that he did he sat there and said okay um he's gonna be tough to beat and he was and uh you know when you put your eggs in the basket as far as on race is concerned with this with this playoff format um, you know, and, and you were kind of beaten when qualifying started. I, I think that's what, I, unless you were, unless Logano shot himself in the foot somehow, or, uh, you know, had a major mistake on pit road, that's kind of what everybody was waiting for. You know, um, it's Logano's championship to lose. We all kind of said that going into Sunday after watching what he did in qualifying, it's Logano's championship to lose unless he shoots himself in the foot, unless they make a mistake. And he, he didn't do that. Got in the clean air. He was gone, and uh, really all the other guys were kind of fighting, you know, ill-handling cars at times and, and other issues as well. But um, as far as Chase Elliott was concerned, you know, just just a little, little uh, off by Phoenix, and, and that's all it takes right now. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say it was a disappointment. Uh, Hendrick overall, I felt like, like I said, it just seemed like the engine that start and then gets stopped. Obviously, the uh, Bowman deal with the next-gen car didn't help things, um, you know, and, and I felt like Byron just had a good start to the year, a pretty good start to the year, and then faded as well. So um, it was just, it's been, it was a very odd year with this new car, and it's going to be interesting to see next year, with everybody a year under their belt, this new car, and if if what we saw in 2022 is going to be the norm for this car, or is it just the fact that it was the first year and everybody kind of had a fresh notebook, nobody really knew what was going into it, and now that everybody's got their notes and they kind of looked at this race car and, um, you know, got an idea of what it's going to do, is one team really going to, or a couple of teams, I should say, really going to shine? And then, you know, some of these backmarker teams are going to kind of come back down to earth a little bit. It's going to be very interesting to see. But uh, it just seemed like, again, for Hendrick, I, I think overall, Phoenix was sort of an epitome of what they were all year. They just couldn't find a consistency to compete with the 22 makes i mean i i can see that i can see what both of you guys have talked about so far for those three guys and i mean i'll kind of put it out here let's go over i mean the incident the only real incident that took place that anyone really cared about i know this because i have a friend who's a, a fan of william clyde elliott the second uh was the restart incident that saw ross chastain uh go and essentially 
he made a move left because William Byron had a bad start. At the same time, Chase Elliott had a later move to react to that or try to get down low because of the stupidity of Phoenix Raceway and the fact that they have 18 miles of runoff room uh, for a one-mile racetrack, completely wasting the whole entire racetrack. They, I mean, they could, if you're going to reconfigure it, I mean, at least reconfigure it so it actually isn't a complete clusterfuck of a track and maybe make it more racy. That'd be a novel concept. But um, Ross Chastain got into uh, William Clyde Elliott II, basically uh, ended his day. Clyde sat there with Jeffy, and Jeffy talked him off the ledge because he was going to use he was going to use a bad word or something, so he was going to have to go to timeout in the in the pool room or something. Um, or he might have had to. Well, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go. I, I, I was going to do say something really effed up there, but I'm not going to say it. Um, that's maturity, folks. Um, in my old days when I used to do NASCAST, I really would have went there and it would have been really disgusting and sad. But I'm not going to do that because it's my show. Um, Clyde fans felt very aggrieved. Uh, his championship was essentially over at that point. I honestly thought he was going to slow down and he was going to send Ross. But I guess his car wasn't turning well enough and he couldn't slow down enough to justify this thing. Um, Christopher Bell, Clayton, you mentioned earlier with the whole ish, the in, in, situation with, with um, Coy Gibbs. I think that fundamentally affected everybody in the Gibbs camp. I think that also affected uh, Darrell Wallace Jr. He did have a decent car for a while. Then he started having um, mechanical brake issues he had some other issue that i heard about um earlier today it didn't seem clear what happened to his car um the only person that wasn't was of course the guy who wasn't directly connected to the whole situation which is daniel emmerich formerly of gibbs racing last year when he won his championship um jumping in the 23 car and he was able to finish top 20 um christopher bell uh winning twice in must-win situations, kind of proving that talent and skill that many people have thought of that he has. Adam Stevens um, trying to get that third championship and first without Kyle Busch. When Kyle Busch, uh, on his way out the door with Joe Gibbs Racing, said that the breakup with him and Adam Stevens is really the beginning of the end for him at Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, it's similar to Jeff Gordon and Ray Evernham, honestly. And he said that too. It's like, we were like Jimmy Johnson and Chad Canals. I mean, that's kind of high. That's really, that's going pretty high. Uh, um, I think more Jeff Gordon and Ray Everham based on the statistics. Um, even though I think honestly, Ray, the Jeff and Ray set a bar that a lot of people had to meet, which is why Chad did what he did with Jimmy. Point is, both of those guys made the final four. And I'm opening this up to the panel here for a first year team. I mean, you brought this up, Clayton, in regards to this Gen 7 car. But for a second, like a first-year team with two cars, number one, and to have a team that just two years ago was not a factor in the playoffs, which was Ganassi, and to go and be finished third in the race, second in the championship, with a guy that a couple of years ago was running starting parks for insert name team name here, it's it's something that we have not seen in NASCAR in a long, long time. Uh, whether you like him or don't like him, Ross Chastain 
he's an underdog story and it would have been, and it's not the, just the hail melon from last week. It's not smashing watermelons like Gallagher. It's not the fact that he runs into people and doesn't really care like certain people in the history of the sport. Um, it speaks to what Justin Marks is trying to build in regards to an organization and what the future of NASCAR could be if the likes of Justin Marks are able to impart their type of um, business model into this because these teams don't make it there. It's always the Hendrick, it's the Gibbs, it's Penske, it's SHR, it's whatever, RCR back in the day. You know, those are the teams, the standard bearers. Those are the ones that are supposed to be there. But Trackhouse got there. And I think that's a huge sign of things to come with some of the other pieces that are kind of falling into place. Um, and it, it, I think it's a positive sign. There are things with this next-gen car, and I think we can add this into this piece with these two guys that made the Final Four. There are positives and negatives with this car. I know, Clayton, you said you wanted to talk about it. I'll end that this part of the discussion, but thoughts on Bell? Being essentially going to be the lead dog at Gibbs. I mean, he's the the future of Gibbs is basically him and and Ty. Um, we know that the days of Denny Hamlin, he's never really been the lead dog. It was Kyle Busch. He's he's going to be the lead dog in terms of veteran, but he's more looking at his organization out the door where his commitments are. Martin Truex doesn't know if he's going to race from year to year anymore. So what what do we think of? In regards to the performance of uh, Chris Bell, Josh, to get in two wins in cutoff situations with a crew chief, one of the best crew chiefs in the sport, didn't have a great year, to be fair, until about midway through the season, they started to switch it on, got themselves into the mix. Um, is Has he turned a corner? Is he going to be able to do what he needs to do to last at Gibbs, which doesn't seem to be something that happens for a lot of these young guys. See Joey Logano, see Eric Jones, see Daniel Suarez. Those are just three examples. Um, they're running through people the same way Ford runs through people. That's why Chevrolet always wins. Um, and then also what Trackhouse did this year um, in their first full year with two cars to put themselves in the mix, have one car finish second in points, another car just outside of the top 10 in points, uh, huge result for essentially a brand new organization a couple years ago. Um, and all the investments that Jess and Marks had to make and all the sacrifices they had to make. And then the new car pros and cons. And I'll go to you first, Josh. Yeah. I mean, just the consistency really, I think is what you have to look at between all the teams, you know, not just, Chris Bell or Trackhouse, but, you know, every team. And I think really what makes, you know, e each of those individual teams, drivers have some level of success this year is just the the way that the next-gen car handled. Um, you know, it didn't, like, you know, to carry over from what we were talking about earlier, um, there wasn't really any team this year that um, really had any, uh, you know, level of consistency from week to week where they were truly dominant. You know, this was the first season um, in a long time where no driver led over a thousand laps. Um, I think, you know, the 
since like 2002, so 20 years ago, um, I think Dale Earnhardt Jr. was the only driver to have led uh, over a thousand laps, and everybody else led under that. Well, this year, nobody led over a thousand laps, and uh, which is a crazy uh, statistic, you know, considering how. Um, in the last couple of years, there have been a handful of drivers who each had at least a thousand laps led. And, you know, last year, Larson had 2000 laps led. And, um, you know, just the way that the next gen car handled um, on a, you know, lap to lap basis, where it was really hard to, you know, nail the setup consistent, uh, you know, on a consistently, you know, stable, um, you know, setup where, you know, you could expect the car to handle um, the same way throughout the you know course of a fuel run or a tire run, and um, you know just that challenge I think is what led to you know teams like um, Trackhouse coming out and and having the level of success that they did. Um, you know I think also just for Trackhouse alone, you know they came from um, just one car in 2021, and then they acquired uh, the assets of Ganassi, and I think that also helped them a bunch. Um, just um, being able to acquire all those resources and everything um, and, you know, come out and um, be really good out of the gate um, in 2022. You know, you saw that early in the season with the way uh, Ross Chastain uh, raced at Las Vegas. And then um, you could kind of see it coming along uh, throughout the year until, you know, once they got to, um, you know, the, the road courses and, um, you know, some of some of the um, – mile and a half, um, they, they really, uh, had, had good pieces and Daniel Suarez, you know, he had a career year, uh, for his, you know, what he's been able to achieve so far. Um, and they, they had plenty of races where he, he was really good, just, uh, didn't have a whole lot of luck. And then, you know, with Chris Bell, I mean, nobody, nobody really, um, had any, um, you know, saw like what he was able to do until you know, he went out and won a flat track at, uh, New Hampshire. And then, you know, I think, the way that he performed in that race, you know, once he got into the playoffs, um, you really had to consider him as a, uh, somebody that could, you know, come out and, um, be a, you know, potentially a championship four driver and, um, look at how he performed at the very beginning of the chase or of the playoffs. And, um, you know, they, they ended the, uh, first round and I, you know, he was on top of the points lead, uh, in, in, uh, the, you know, in the standings and, um, you know, he was, uh, one of the, uh, or at least the first couple of races he was in first and, you know, he was somebody you had to look at and then he was on the edge of not making it in, but then he managed somehow to make it in at the Roval and then, you know, had the incident where he got collected with Bubba Wallace and Kyle Larson's deal, but then came back and, uh, used tire strategy to be able to get to the lead, uh, at Martinsville and, you know, I think if they had found something at Phoenix, you know, we would have been looking at possibly Chris Bell winning the championship uh, this year. But, you know, they just didn't have quite the speed at Phoenix as uh, Joey Logano did. And, you know, same thing with Trackhouse. You know, they they had good long run speed at the end of this race with uh, Ross Chastain, but um, they just didn't, you know, have enough laps, enough time to be able to get to uh, Joey Logano there. So, yeah, just, you know, throughout this year, uh you know, just people not being able to hit the setup on a week-to-week basis, you know, just the intricacies of how this next-gen car handles, um, you know, you just didn't really uh, see somebody, you know, lead on a week-to-week basis. And, you know, there were times where Toyota was good. There was times where Chevy was good, Ford was good, but nobody could do it throughout um, the entire season. And, um, you know, you wonder how it's going to look like next year, you know, 
uh, once teams, you know, they've got a year of data on this car, um, if it's going to l- look a little bit more normal, not as volatile or uh, as, uh, you know, parity as, as it was this year. And, you know, there's, of course, still going to be changes, you know, maybe horsepower changes. Um, obviously, they've already um, announced that they're going to fix the rear clip, you know, for next year. Uh, as uh, obviously we had a lot of issues with that this year, especially with concussions and driver safety. So, um, you know, there's still some things that they're gonna have to work out there, but, um, you know, I think the general baseline is there and, um, you know, probably within the first, you know, third of the year or even less the first quarter of the year, I think you're going to see who's, uh, actually good, uh, and, you know, who's going to likely be there at, you know, the, the championship for next year in 2023. Clayton, what were your thoughts on those two? I mean, you gave your thoughts earlier about um, Chris Bell a little bit, but uh, you did say you had your thoughts pro and con in regards to this next-gen car, so I figure might as well let us know what you thought. Um, You're uh, coming from the same realm as I did in regards to where our fandom started. We've been in, uh, what is it, I think Gen 3 I think is when our fandom started, Gen 3, Gen 4 era. So now we're on the seventh generation of car. It was a totally different type of car. Uh, Essentially, it's a GT3 spec, uh, supercars, V8 supercars kind of spec in regards to the way they made it. Independent rear suspension, sequential gearbox, digital this, that, and the other thing. Um, More aligned with how the car, their actual real life counterparts look um i think they could get a they could learn more from what the supercars did with their gen 3 cars with the mustang and the camaro to really see what a what those cars should look like and also built them more like that but that's beside the point but what were your thoughts on um track house and how a new team comes into the mix and is able to actually have a chance at a championship relative to what the status quo has been for many decades and also um, what the uh, thoughts on next-gen cars we move into 2023. Well, you touched on, I think, uh, a major positive of the next-gen, and that is that a team can come in now and compete. And I don't know if they can come in now, and that's a whole other thing with the charters, but um, you know, Justin Marks did. It wouldn't have been possible, I don't think, with the old car this year uh you know i don't care how good his people were you know, travis mack the crew chief of the 99 and um oh goodness why can't i think of the guy's name for the crew chief of the oh, surgeon. Oh, surgeon thank you uh they also deserve a ton of credit because they did a great job and and uh you know josh mentioned uh earlier about suarez he had a great year this year really showed what a lot of people thought about suarez and that you know he's in a second year with an organization uh you know which is very rare for him he's been bouncing around a lot not any of his doing just circumstances um but anyway uh you know they did a great job this year no question i think that's something that the um next gen car that's a positive of it and if you are somebody who likes going to the racetrack and you have really no idea who's gonna be good from week to week that's something that you want um and and i do think in a way that's a positive for the sport for sure um and here's where my negatives will come in i think part of my problem with this next gen is that I'm not sure it's as far as much it shows the talent of teams as much as we see a lot of more luck plays into things. Um, and so, you know, I'm not a big guy on, on liking to watch where luck sort of plays in a bigger role. 
Uh, and I think that's part of my problem. You also, I, you know, you guys mentioned about the safety, and yeah, NASCAR is going to look at it. But they also built this car. They're also the ones who are responsible, in my opinion, for why we need to make changes to this car. So will they get it right if, with this new, you know, uh, adjustment they're going to make to this back end of this car? We'll see. You can't have guys wrecking cars with very little accidents. I mean, Kurt Busch's career is over because of a of a. Listen, no doubt they go fast at Pocono, but that was a very um, normal looking accident, to say the least, for Kurt Busch and even Alex Bowman. And you know, the problem with Bush, Bush, you could say was, oh, he's a veteran. He's taken hits before we had safer barriers, before we had safer race cars, and you could sort of sit there and say maybe those lingering effects from his early hits in his career is really what. Um, you know, played a role into ending his career per se. You can't say that about Alex Bowman, though. You couldn't say that about Alex Bowman. He's been with, you know, the the he's a newer driver, and so um, that was a major problem. I felt that the package we had for these uh, short tracks was a problem. Uh, I didn't like that at all. So, you know, and we also had fires, which was another problem, you know, into itself, and then wheels falling off at times or breaking off at times. So, and, and no doubt. Um, I think certain things can be looked at. I thought Chase Elliott had the line of the year when he said, you know, I think it was Justin Mark said, you know, hey, we're going to have some issues with this car. We knew coming in we were going to have issues. But Chase Elliott said with the technology we have, there's no reason to take a step back in safety. And he was absolutely correct. That was a, He had a grand slam, game winning ninth inning with the, you know, down three with the bases loaded, got a 3-2 count, got a hanging curveball, and just slammed it about 600 feet into the stands that comment there was no question that is a hundred percent correct and that's really what my biggest problem with this next gen car was i felt and and again maybe people will tell me i'm wrong with this i felt this car was built for cost i think you know uh steve phelps touched on it in his uh state of the sport this week where he said you know we're looking at owners and the future of this sport and really trying to cut back the cost that's a big thing about it sure they want to add to their revenue but nascar doesn't want to add to their revenue too much they want these teams to limit their spending and where this started from i think this gen 7 car started from was limiting the owner's costs i don't care what anybody says he can tell me until he's blue in the face that this car was uh the number one goal of this car was safety i'd call him you know i think he's he's full of crap to be honest with you this was about building a car that for these owners and for these teams at 15 years down the road, we can look at it and say these owners are making money. And I think these owners are making money anyway, but I think they want to make as much money as they possibly can as far as like, you know, what other sports make where you're seeing baseball teams or, you know, Washington commanders coming for sale and it's going to be you know, billions and billions of dollars. I think that's what these owners, these team owners want to get to eventually where if you have to sell a charter, it's going to cost you a significant amount of money. That's why Dale Earnhardt Jr. can't get into it. And it's not a coincidence that Dale Earnhardt Jr. wants to get the cup now with this new car, because he knows that this new car is a lot cheaper and you don't have to pay as much people to build this new car and all that goes into it. He knows that. He's not a dumb person. He's financially smart. So he knows that this is the year to get in. This is why you want to get in, because this new car is going to allow you to make not only a lot of money, but major major money and that's why these charters you're not going to see them be sold and i think the only way a new owner gets in and i don't mean to go on to a completely different avenue uh but the only way you'll see a new owner get in is if you see with like pitbull where you buy into a team or jimmy johnson like we saw this week you buy into a team you get into a team that's where these new owners are going to come from you know where we're used to in the nascar world in our world where new owners would be basically running their own 
team, you're going to see, I think, owners eye into teams and be part of teams. And uh, that's an interesting, you know, interesting change, which is something that is is there. But as far as the racing is concerned, and I'll wrap this up here. I, I know I want a, a little bit of a rant here. But as far as the racing is concerned, uh, my big, my problem is that I think it's, again, a lot of it's luck-based. And I would love to see them open up the horsepower. And it drives me crazy because they, they put these engines in to, I think, a lot of the reason was, and maybe there's other reasons, but I think the biggest reason was, was to woo manufacturer into NASCAR, another manufacturer into the sport, which makes a ton of sense, by the way, to do that. Uh, but we're not seeing any progress. I mean, they were apparently close to this, you know, last year, two years ago, they reported, oh, NASCAR is close to adding manufacturer. Now there's nowhere close. It seems like the, the talks with Dodge, for, the re- for whatever reason, fizzled out, and now we're we're gone. So what are we doing here with these engines? I mean, that that's to, to be honest. If why we created this engine package was to sort of help a manufacturer get in here and establish something, what the hell are we doing now if these manufacturers don't want to come in anyway? Let's just open up the horsepower, bring the racing back to where it should be, where we see cars, you know, up to me would, would be a huge, huge win if we did that with the engines. But, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, but overall, I think it was a much more competitive year. Um, but it doesn't reward, I don't think, the greatness or the talent. It's more of a lot of luck, per se. And if you hit on something for a week, you're in good shape, you're going to totally win races. I, you know, it's, it's just maybe as a race fan, as an NASCAR fan, I was thinking about this tonight on my drive. Uh, I drove. I did some driving today. I was thinking about this, and I said, I wonder if I have to change my mentality of it's it's over. You know, what I think of NASCAR and what I grew up as, it's done. You have to change your mentality a little bit. So maybe over the years I'll come to like this new car, but overall I think it's changed the game to where it's no longer that big of a team sport as far as what goes on you know, Monday through Friday at the, in the race shop. Uh, that's gone, and you know the pit crews for the most part is gone because of the single lug. So, you know, it is what it is. But again, I think as far as the parity was concerned, if that was part of the goal, we certainly did that. I mean, you saw how many winners this year. and uh, 19. Know, right. So that, that's certainly something good. And, and like you said, track house, that's something that would not have happened with this with this older car. I mean, they might have been maybe, maybe be a little competitive, maybe a 15th to 10th place team. They would not have made the Final Four in that old car. There's no question about that. So that's certainly a, a positive and a good positive this new car yeah i echo you to what you what uh, clayton said about the engine stuff and yeah i I don't buy that for a minute that it's because oh they want to save or get the more manufacturers in i think it's purely a competition thing you know with going back to the old 550 package where they're trying to make things closer on the uh mile and a half and the bigger tracks like uh, pocono michigan and california yeah this is you know, to um, kind of like balance it out between 550 and 750 with the current 690 horsepower or whatever. And yeah, I agree. They should make it a lot more, you know, 700 or 850, whatever. Because I think, I mean, maybe financially for manufacturers to put in money to the engine program, maybe. But I I think it's, you know, purely to, um, you know, create competition um, and try to induce it. You know, it's the... It's their way of creating parity by, you know, um, putting in lower horsepower. It's the same reason why we have restrictor plate racing. Um, I don't, I think maybe part of it was because to, you know, keep them from flying into the stands, but it's really because, well, it made things a whole lot, quote unquote, more exciting. Yeah. And I mean, I think 
I mean, it's a good point with the horsepower. Uh, it's a similar thing that I see on the IndyCar side too, trying to bring in manufacturers, road going technology relevant to what the manufacturers are doing. I also say that like you think about Mopar and they're involved with Tony Stewart and NHRA, they have cars that have eight, nine, eight, 900 horsepower and a cup car is 690 horsepower. So what, what is that relevant to something that they're doing on the road? Now, granted, I think Stellantis, who runs uh, the Dodge and Ram and all this, and but they're also with Fiat and all these other brands, they have connections to IMSA and the World Endurance Championship and NHRA. So in terms of Dodge, they see NHRA as a cheaper alternative marketing-wise, and it also meets whatever thing they want. But they also have other things that they have in Europe that they can go and around the world that can go and meet those things. NASCAR costs too much to get into. To be competitive, it takes a long time, or you need to be with the right team. Toyota is proof of that, and Toyota's proven over time, over decades, and I've said this on your show when we used to be together, Clayton, Toyota has a history of destroying motorsport series. And to be honest, the charter system and certain things are in place to where the cup series ain't going anywhere. That's no problem. But if you look at what the truck series has become in the time since Toyota has been in it, which is 18 years, we look at what it was in 2004 and how many people were showing up for truck races to what it is now. And Toyota dominates a truck series, but who else is there? There ain't nobody there. In the Xfinity Series, Toyota has one team. That's Joe Gibbs Racing. Yeah, there's other teams that run. Sam Hunt kind of has a connection. Whatever. There's no There's no real Ford presence. There's a huge Chevy presence, mainly because that's the most readily available. And Dale Jr. runs one of those teams, and that's a Hendrick outfit. That, at the end of the day, you want, if Honda, you want Honda to come into that. Honda's been in IndyCar for years, and they've been on and off getting their ass kicked by Chevy for, I don't know, since since 2012 with this engine package. And they keep on adding things in IndyCar. They have the same car for 10 years, and they talk about cost. You want Honda to get in on this? There's no effing way that you're going to convince Honda to build a Ridgeline truck under the basis of how stupid these trucks are now and 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 to get them to make a, a V8 engine. Who are you going to get to get a V8 engine? You're sure as hell not going to trust Ilmore because they can't make a decent engine. They can't make a decent engine for trucks or Arca. And Penske's in on it. All these people are in on it. You start going and getting in. Roger Penske's in on it with that 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 crappy crate engine. Mike Helton doesn't have anything directly to do with NASCAR. But who builds the bodies for all these different series? Five Star. Who's one of the big people at Five Star? Freaking Helton. Like once you start, it's the same thing in politics. The same way our society is. All once you start looking at things and you start digging in, it's the way they all should wear their sponsorship jackets. The way that NASCAR drivers wear their uniform. All these people are connected in some way, shape, or form. It's not a cost-saving thing. Whatever. Sod is one of the dumbest people on planet Earth, but he's a sword swallower. That's why he's where he is. Steve Phelps sits there and he likes to take arrows from everybody and he just says whatever anybody wants to say because they already had BZF sitting there in his drug-induced rants and he's going to go on the download, which is going to be something to see because he hasn't been out in public in a while. 
So who knows if he's actually going to be on or off script, whatever. But when you consider that since he took over this sport in 2004 to where we are in 2022, there's been exponential change. There was a push on safety. This car has been an absolute failure in that because it's essentially ended Kurt Busch's career and it could have effects on other drivers because of the way they made the rear of the car and the way they have the case. They've encased the gear cluster relative to the gas tank and how rigid that section is. NASCAR, from when Clayton and I first started watching, the back end, if you if you went and owned a rear end, you went and slammed the back into the wall, you're crushing that thing all the way to the window. Now you bounce off the wall with a little bit of a bump, but the difference is the drivers are taking all of it, which is essentially what caused all the deaths 20-plus years ago with the the basilar skull fractures through different types of incidents, a lot of head-on, but what brought on because of the rigidity of the cars, which is kind of, you know, we can go into the, I can go off into the tangent with that. That way, that's a failure. The car on short tracks and road courses, which everyone said it was supposed to be made for road courses, failure. The tires are not, it's typical Goodyear, they don't know how to make a good tire. We already know that. I you listen to the show long enough, I don't trust them to make a good tire. They can make a tire that can wear and also last. If they can do it on the road, supposedly, they can do it on a freaking race car. They haven't proven to do that well in NASCAR, but they're in cahoots with the Francis, so they're never going to get fired. The fact is they need a better tire. It does. I don't care that it's a single lug and it's a big rim. It's more road relevant than a 13-inch rim and whatever tire that they were using before. That's more road relevant. I give, I understand why they're doing that. They need to, they need to figure out why, especially on the Ford side, why they're having all this tire pickup right next to the exhaust manifold catching fire. Because it's cost multiple people cars. It cost Chase Briscoe a top five finish at Richmond. Brad's car caught on fire yesterday. I mean, it's ridiculous. And there's a list. I think I forget which website. The two guys on the one website they 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 were making. They make all kinds of good lists uh, of the pen. They made that penalty list for people who hooked other people. Now they made did the list for um, all the people who caught on fire this year. Um, so the next gen car has that issue with the way they have the packaging of the exhaust relative to where like the rubber and all that. There needs to be another like barrier so that the rubber buildup doesn't get into the wheel wells. Uh, I was joking around with a friend of mine. like, you might as well just spray WD-40 all up in the wheel wells and then you wouldn't have that problem. But then they probably say it's illegal anyway. But I bet you that that Brad probably wanted to do that with RFK, but then they would have failed him for that too. But I think it was good on one and a half mile racetracks, which is, I think what they're trying to fix, but you can run a thousand horsepower. You run a thousand horsepower on any track up to one and a half miles at, uh, or up to 1.25 miles and road courses. Then the one and a half mile racetracks, two mile racetracks, the super speedways, you run your specific packages. Fine. At that point, you don't have to do any arrow thing. I would say take take the 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 um, back. Uh, what do you call it? diffuse the rear diffuser off the car on short tracks and and road courses. Test it, see it. I mean, we already have um, Jess and Mark saying we should run five to six cars at Charlotte at a thousand horsepower 
and see how that would be. If one of the owners in the final four thinks that that's an idea, maybe they ought to do that. Uh, just saying. Uh, so the car has its pluses. They are going to do new things next year. They're going to run a street course race for what it's worth next year for whatever effing reason. They're going to still be on dirt. They're going to still have all these unique scenarios. They're going to run North Wilkesboro next year for the all-star race on a very old surface. They need to figure out these things if they want this car to progress and keep fans. That's what it is. The old school fans, the people that have been in it a long time, the way out there's the boomers. I mean, we, whatever, they were neither here nor there. But if you're looking at Clayton and myself, who have been into this thing for 25 plus years as fans, that's who you need to keep. You need to keep us, like all of us, because Josh, you're younger, but still you've been in it a long time. We're the people you need to keep, not the short attention span people. Um, and so we'll see about all that. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get into the Xfinity thing here, um, of course, uh, with the news that uh, Ty Gibbs, uh, he wins a championship. His father um, passes away right next day, which is just sad and horrible. Um, but for Ty Gibbs, over his career, he's proven to be a very um, tough competitor, for better or worse. He's gotten into a lot of people. He has shown a general lack of awareness um, in regards to his um, how he behaves or how he does things. Um, you know, the notion is um, going into what will be his rookie year next year in the Cup Series, 11 wins, 25 top fives, 33 top tens, and six poles. And, I mean, he only ran... Uh, just over half the races last year and finished 13th in points. Uh, this year, only slightly approved average finish. Um, but, you know, he 16 top fives and 23 top tens and 33 races. It's hard to get around. It's hard to beat. He beat three junior motorsports guys. All of them um, during the day figured out a way to eliminate themselves. Josh Berry on a late restart uh, got out in the gray and uh, hit the wall. Justin Allgaier ran his tires off his car, um, tried to slide them, couldn't do it. And then Noah Gregson um, had to come back. All three junior motorsports cars had issues on pit road during this race. Uh, and uh, that was a key. Uh, Gibbs had the pole or had the first spot on pit road. Good pit stops all day. He led the most laps. He had the fastest car. Even when he was in traffic, he wasn't really in trouble. Uh, it really wasn't much of a factor. Uh, the, the top three were the top three in this championship, so it's not that shocking. Uh, they led the majority of the race all but 14 of the 200 laps. So, yeah, so 186 of the 200 laps led by those three guys. So that championship, it isn't as shocking. I mean, yeah, Gibbs had his moments, struggled uh, at times during this season, but in the grand scheme of things, Ty Gibbs goes out there, wins the last two races of the season. He hadn't won since Michigan in uh, August, but and then Gregson had kind of set the tone. He had won five races since that point. Allmendinger had won twice. Barry had won once, and... Um, 
but all guyer yeah that's that's an interesting thing but i'll throw to you clayton before you get off here um ty gibbs i mean it's a bigger situation for him now that he's now lost his father uh but you know to win a championship make his dad proud a uh, pretty big deal for him in a in a time where he was under a lot of scrutiny for his actions and the way he's gone about business yeah no question and uh you know he was able to step up in a big moment and pull off a victory you got to give him credit especially with like you said the, the distraction of and i think part of that part of the idea behind a lot of people calling him out was at it was sort of a distraction. They wanted him to be um, distracted and, you know, focused on the task at hand. And he went out and much whooped him. I mean, I know uh, Gregson and Allgaier kind of had a little bit of, of, they led a little bit and they were right there, second and third. But uh, Ty was, was pretty much in control of that race all day. Um, and, and, you know, I know probably Joe Gibbs could put all their emphasis on that 54 car um, to win a championship and use the other teams to, to do that. But, you know, I know for a fact there was some, uh, and not to get too, uh, you know, with everything that was going on, but I know for a fact there was some internal problems there with Toyota and even Joe Gibbs racing. Uh, so for him to put that away and kind of just put it in the back of his mind for a race and win that championship is is great. And, you know, as much as people might not like Ty Gibbs, um, you know, with what happened on, on Sunday morning or Saturday night, whenever it happened, uh, you have to feel great for him that he was able to win the championship. And that was really the last thing his dad saw was his son win a championship. So, and celebrate a championship with his son. Um, so, you know, world works in mysterious ways. And, uh, you know, for Ty to go out and win that championship the way he did, um, it certainly was public. It was storybook and, and there was a deeper reason behind it. But, uh, you know, for him to step up in the way he did with all that was going on um, was really, really uh, something I think um, shows how good he is as a race car driver for sure. And Josh, I mean, we go in contrast that to what junior motorsports had going into this race on Saturday, you have 75% of the final four. Uh, you have Sam Mayer, who of course has a beef, obvious beef with, um, uh, with Ty Gibbs and thank you. Oh, okay. So there you go. So we'll uh, go, I uh, thank uh, Clayton Caldwell for his contribution. Has to get to being dad and get ready for work. But we have to contrast with the response that um, Junior Motorsports had uh, this weekend. Um, All guys been good at Phoenix over time. Uh, many races there had chances to win. Gregson won there earlier this year. You have Josh Berry, who's great at flat, shorter tracks. And then Mayer, who made it the most interesting of anything at the end. He kind of held up Gibbs there coming to the white flag and could have right reared him and made it really fun. Um, but in the end, junior motorsports with 75% of the field were not able to beat Ty Gibbs. And it really wasn't much of a fight to be fair. Um, that 54 car was on rails. Ty Gibbs wanted to prove that he belongs doesn't have to run over people, even though he's made a career out of it. Um, but in the end, Noah Gregson has to go and eat one uh, for sure. He's the one that was the most outspoken of the bunch, and um, he had to eat it for sure. Um, eight wins this year, similar to what Chase Briscoe had a couple of years ago, winning nine races in 2020. But when it came down to it, they uh, came up small. 
um, when it really counted. Yeah, I mean, Noah Gregson, you know, he uh, came up short. You know, he had a, provided a lot of uh, bulletin board material with uh, the, the talk that he had on, you know, his media availability leading up to the race. And I'm not going to say he was wrong for, for saying it. You know, I think he's, you know, playing the heel card a little bit. and But also, you know, just, you know, trying to, I guess, be himself in a way. Uh, but, you know, it maybe looking back on it now, maybe it wasn't the best idea to, you know, put that out there like that. But, you know, uh, he's going to be who he is and, um, you know, say exactly what is on his mind. And, yeah, I think that's why, you know, a lot of people like him now. And, you know, it seemed like a lot of people reacted positively in favor of Gregson after uh, those comments were made. Um, but, you know, on the race on Sunday, you know, I think – it's just a matter of who had the better car uh, that weekend because, you know, looking back at what Gregson did in the spring at Phoenix, you know, he uh, ran pretty well there and won the race. But, you know, things change and, um, you know, he took over kind of because it was Ty Gibbs series earlier in the season. Remember, he was winning a bunch and then he kind of fell off like, you know, in the middle of the summer and Gregson started to emerge and we thought that, you know, maybe Noah Gregson was the guy in the Xfinity series, but, uh, you know, Gregson um, just came up short there in Phoenix. And, you know, I think, you know, Gibbs, yeah, after the whole, you know, playoff steal, you know, Gibbs and, uh, you know, Ty Gibbs, they, I guess, came out with the best piece that they could come up with and, um, you know, used the best car the whole day. And, um, you know, I think maybe at the end, Gregson might have been able to catch him. You know, maybe if he had like, five, ten more laps could have been there. Uh, but, you know, Gregson um, tried to send it in there on the last lap, but, you know, I think you really got to be within, you know, two to even, or one-tenth, a car length or whatever, to really be able to close in and, you know, put the bumper there to move them over out of the way or, you know, just to just to try to attempt some kind of pass. And, you know, I think he was never that close enough to, you know, be able to um, make that kind of move and, you know, I, he got a little assistance there two laps ago from his teammate Sam Mayer. You know, Sam kind of pinched uh, Gibbs, you know, off of turn two onto the you know back stretch, but you know he couldn't do anything more than that because one, he's already got a slower car, and then the other thing is as well, you know, um, you can't affect the race like that because then it'd be pretty obvious. You know, you can only really have one shot there to maybe help your teammate um, and affect the race in a type of way, but. Uh, you know, Ty Gibbs uh, just had a way better car than you know any anybody from uh, you know, Junior Motorsports. So even though Gregson and Algar Barry all led laps at some point, you know it, it was at different points of the race. And uh, when it counted the most, you know Ty Gibbs just had had the better car and just beat them straight up. So you know sometimes that's how you got to do it, and you know that's that's how it happens. So. Uh, you know, Ty Gibbs, of course, wins the championship. And then, you know, with uh, the stuff that happened afterwards with his family and his father passing away, um, you know, obviously it's unfortunate. And maybe, you know, people are talking about the thing that would humble Ty Gibbs. And, you know, maybe maybe this is the thing that humbles him. You know, maybe he doesn't have to get wrecked or, um, you know, put in the wall or whatever for what he does on the racetrack. Maybe, you know, this is his opportunity, you know, to, you know, be, be a better person race car driver you know um now now that his father passed away and um you know that kind of thing so 
um, you know, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes it takes those kind of events in your life to, to really change and, um, you know, maybe, you know, honor, honor your, you know, your father, um, that kind of thing to, um, you know, change and be a better person. But, uh, you know, I don't think no Gregson or anything like that, you know, he obviously said comments and he doesn't like him, thinks, you know, he's a fake person, all that stuff. But, you know, I don't think, um, he'd want to see that happen to anybody, you know, regardless of how you uh, view somebody, you know, that's, you know, like the saying goes, you know, you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy. And I think even Noah Gregson could agree with that. So, um, yeah, just a unfortunate situation, you know, now, now we're going to see, uh, who's going to be the eventual successor to Joe Gibbs and, uh, you know, in the future for Gibbs racing. So, uh, you know, just a unfortunate, you know, situation and crazy that it happened like that. And, um, you know, I think also it's interesting that, uh, Coy Gibbs and his brother JD both passed away at the same age, um, and now you know Gib- Joe Gibbs has to you know put to rest both the, both of his sons uh, at a you know, relatively young age. So and uh, you know now he's has to find the successor. So just a really you know unfortunate situation, of course. And you know our you know thoughts and prayers and everything go out to their family and um, you know as they go through this situation. So uh you know they just uh you know unfortunate that it went down like that but you know um um at least you know ty gibbs got to win the championship and you know they got to celebrate that as a family you know before um you know on you know the unfortunate passing of coy gibbs yeah it's just horrible um as somebody who lost his father um at a relatively young age albeit he was 62 um it's been what is it now Coming up to this year, it'll be uh, 14 years uh, since I lost my dad. And um, Ty Gibbs, for whatever the hell he is, um, this isn't the time to go and go in on him. We kind of did it last week, and we're probably going to get into it next year when he gets put in the wall um, a lot uh, because I don't think he's learned as a driver. But hopefully the fact that he doesn't have his father and he has to become a man and be a better man and be a better person for his mom and for his for his grandma and grandpa and for his for his siblings maybe that humbles him maybe that makes him a better person maybe that makes him a better race car driver this dude has talent um it's undeniably has talent to win 11 xfinity races in such a short amount of time to be able to win a championship in only his second season You've won eleven out of fifty-one races, and and uh, I mean that's that's just a really, I mean that's just really really good. I mean to win one out of every five, over one out of every five races so far in your career. His Cup career has not been great so far. Um, only one top ten, average finish of twenty-three, but getting fifteen races of experience is huge. Um, back in the day. There were drivers that wouldn't get five races. Tony had no races before he started. Jeff Gordon only had one. I think Jimmy Johnson had two. And you're talking about three of the greatest guys of our you know, previous generation here. Drivers won't get more than five races. Kyle Busch, I think, had five races before he jumped into a cup car. Um, the thing about, you know, like Joey Logano was in and out of different cars. He drove the 96th Hall of Fame racing car. Uh, when he was a rookie 
before he got in the 20 car in 2009. Um, Brad Keselowski drove for James Finch in the uh, Mikasugi um, casino car. So, I mean, you just think about great drivers in the past. They only drove five races before they jumped into a cup car. This guy's already got three times as many races in a different car. Granted, he didn't do much, but going out there under duress, winning a championship, and then on top of it, what has transpired post that, uh, we will see what Ty Gibbs brings to the table um, come the clash in um, the L.A. Coliseum here in uh, three months' time. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's three months' time because it'll be in February. Um, before we uh, be remiss, we go through the the rundown. Gibbs, Gregson, Allgaier, Landing Castle, best finish of the season for him in fourth. A.J. Allmendinger finishes fifth in his last um, full-time race for Colleague. Uh, in an Xfinity car. He'll be a cup car driver next year. He had a great run yesterday. Sheldon Creed finishes sixth. He's going to be back next year for um, RCR with Whelan uh, Engineering. Riley Herb seventh. Daniel Hemrick eighth. Had a good weekend in general. Um, needed more of those, and, and he might have been in the mix. Austin Hills, your Xfinity Series Rookie of the Year. Sammy Smith led 10 laps. I think he's going to be a factor next year. Um, in the Xfinity series, Nick Sanchez for uh, the um, what's that team? Why am I forgetting the team name? Uh, the 48 team, um, they uh qualified machine third. racing, big machine racing. Thank you, thank you, man. Uh, they he's gonna be running a truck next year, but honestly, I thought he was gonna be in the um 48 car. I think that was as much as I like Parker Kligerman, I think if. Scott Borchetto was trying to build a future and possibly get in the cup. You'd want to build with a guy like Nick Sanchez, maybe hedge with, I don't know, Raja Carruth. But I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking Raja Carruth is going to be driving for Alpha Prime next year. Um, honestly, hope that Raja and Stefan Parsons are the drivers next year full time for that organization. Because both those guys were the two best drivers they had the whole entire season. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say Sage Karam did some work in those cars, but I think our motorsports is probably going to want his money. They're going to have him and Parker Retzlaff. Uh, they might keep Anthony Alfredo so they can have three cars, uh, kind of foreshadowing or trying to foreshadow, um, Xfinity next year. Uh, I don't know if Sage Karam wants to run a full schedule though. Um, might be an idea for him and his Nazareth buddy, Marco Andretti to go and hedge with a car that has points and kind of split the ride might be an idea depending SRX champion there. Um, yeah, Josh Berry 13th, Kyle Weatherman finishes out, uh, the year for, uh, the, um, uh, Jesse Uji team gets a top 15 finish. Uh, Jeb Burton gets into the top 20 in owner's points. Roger Ruth finishes 17th. Um, and you go through that. Yeah, Cavs Grown, Stephen Parsons. Uh, yeah, Dawson Cram was in the 13 car, former guest of the GSP, driving for. Uh, I was hoping he was going to make his presence felt there, but he didn't, unfortunately. Uh, Xfinity Series, trying to see if there's any news, other news. 
there other than yeah brandon Bruckshot jones is going to be in the nine car next year with menards as a sponsor which isn't a surprise to anybody which is why that brass pro shops will be on the eight car wheel and engineering will be on the two car next year for sheldon creed in his second season in his second season in trucks he won the championship so we'll see if that's what comes through this time uh truck series race the um lucas oil 150 saw zane smith lead the most laps win both stages uh get maximum points they went to an overtime but he ends up getting the victory and finally getting a championship he's essentially ford's uh future uh, in nascar as things stand uh, we got him, or I say we, as uh, on with Ford, but Ford got him from Chevrolet uh, since he was a part of GMS, and I think he probably had a connection to Toyota, but I think he was with Chevy, but I mean, he might have had a connection with Toyota. But Zane Smith, Front Row Motorsports, a team that has been an also-ran team in their history, ran a litany of drivers over the past two decades in this sport. Bob Jenkins is a champion in NASCAR. Chris Lawson is a champion crew chief. And Zane Smith is, after two consecutive uh, runner-up finishes in the Truck Series Championship, he will be the defending Truck Series champion with a chance to defend his title while running Cup and Xfinity starts next year with the likely scenario of being in a Cup car in 2024 josh uh domination i think i have to go into my picks here yeah so yeah so i did pick i did pick zane smith look at that there you go um neither of us picked keebler um okay whatever i i was wrong yeah we're both wrong on cup uh we're both wrong on xfinity you were close because chandler smith finished third so the only one that we all got, the only one that we got right, I picked the winner. And Corey Heim uh, won Rookie of the Year. Corey Heim finished seventh in the last race. So uh, the the Kyle Busch Motorsports trucks finished third, fourth, and seventh in their last race with Toyota. Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes, the defending series champion, uh, had a chance. Uh, his teammate, Ty Majeski, wrecked uh, trying to make a move. That would have gotten himself in position. Uh, he won two races in the round of eight, and um, but he didn't have a truck to win on Friday. Probably cost uh, Ben Rhodes a chance to win that championship there because he was on two tires relative to Zane Smith, Chandler Smith's four. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek fourth. Stuart Friesen fifth. Grant Infinger finished sixth. Corey Heim, Tanner Gray, uh, and they're... Uh, David Gillen's last race with Ford uh, finished eighth. Caden Honeycutt gets a top 10 finish. And Carson Hosevar rounds out the top 10. Lane Riggs started second for Friesen's team. Hopefully they get money for him to run because he's legit. Uh, he has ton of talent. He won the NASCAR All-American uh, national title this year. So... That speaks to how good he is and how good his team and everything was for him to win a national championship there. Uh, Lane Riggs, the son of Scott, 
every time he's jumped into the 62, that second truck for Friesen has done work. But uh, before we get into the news of trucks, Josh, we have to get into the fact that Zane Smith, after two years as a runner-up, possibly not having a job, he is essentially Ford's uh, future uh, in NASCAR. One of the pieces, I mean, you already have a few pieces there uh, with Cindric uh, Briscoe up in the Cup Series. But other than that, Ford don't really have a whole hell of a lot up there. I mean, Blaney, sorry, you have to get, include Blaney. And to a lesser extent, Joey Logano, even though he's only 32. Um, but Ford doesn't really have a whole lot of youth. I mean, I'd say, I guess Chris Busher is kind of young, but they need to have other young guys. They've left a lot of, let a lot of people go over the years, but Zade Smith winning this race, getting out of hibernation uh, is huge for Ford, um, not just for this championship, but in general. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think with Zane Smith, um, he just is kind of the same situation with uh, Joey Logano uh, on Sunday. He uh, had one of the best cars in the field, uh, started on pole and, you know, uh, won, you know, the, the truck race and won the championship. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, really, uh, his race throughout the, you know, the whole thing. Um, he just, uh, needed to execute, uh, at the end. And, um, yeah, I think on four tires, he had the best car and, you know, at the end with Ben Rhodes kind of diverted and went on two tires and it actually almost worked until, uh, Ty Gibb or Ty Majeski, uh, spun out off of turn two, trying too hard, trying to, uh, get around Zay Smith on a, you know, kind of a Hail Mary move almost kind of, and, uh, spun himself out there. But I think, um, you know, uh, Ty Majeski, just didn't have the car, but, you know, he was damn going to try something to get around, uh, Zane Smith. But, uh, yeah, I think Ben Rhodes probably could have been the championship, you know, winner again. Um, if that caution didn't happen, I think he was getting ready to, uh, you know, settle in and his tires were kind of beginning to even out compared to, uh, Zane, you know, Zane Smith, uh, trying to, you know, drive up there, uh, and get the lead. Uh, and, you know, I think, just a matter of um you know unfor you know misfortune for Ben Rhodes and uh Zane Smith or versus Zane Smith who had good fortune with that caution gives him another chance to go up there and uh take the lead which he did and you know from there it was his race uh you know going back to the caution in this race with Haley Deegan you know getting in the wall uh pretty hard uh it looked like you know Zane Smith was probably going to drive away from this and um might have if that caution hadn't happened um and you know Ch Chandler Smith uh just didn't have the you know he led nine laps compared to Zane Smith leading 77 just didn't have quite the pace that he needed to be able to you know get up into the lead and and uh race uh Zane Smith you know maybe there was a chance on you know the final set of restarts but you know he Chandler Smith just didn't have the pace that he needed to go out and win this championship. Um, but Zane Smith, you know, been one of the best drivers in the truck series, uh, this season, if not the best. And, you know, now he's a truck champion. Now Bob Jenkins owns a championship you know, after years of kind of being a starting park, you know, in NASCAR and, um, had a little bit of success in cup. Uh, but you know, of course here in, uh, this, this effort, this is truly a championship winning team now. And, 
uh, the truck series and at least, you know, the trucks, you can count on them to be able to contend as long as they have a good driver. So, uh, you know, we'll see what their future looks like for them. You know, also Zane Smith, you said he's for his future. And, you know, I do wonder where uh, Zane Smith is going to be in uh, 2023. Is he still going to compete in the trucks or, you know, do he end up going into yeah, he's going to be full time in the, truck series they've already announced it so what the deal is they're going to run full-time to defend their championship but he's going to run xfinity programs somewhere they haven't said anything which considering where ford's stuff is and he's going to run limited cup they're going to run limited cup races at least five cup races including uh, an attempt at the Daytona 500. Right, right. And that's really the question is is um, not necessarily the immediate future of, okay, yes, he's going to be in the truck series next year, but then also, okay, well, where's the you know the future of his career going into the Xfinity series and where where is he going to be? You know, is, um, you know, does he switch from, I mean, Ford would be stupid to let him go or let him leave, uh, you know, and go to another manufacturer, but if, you know, the situation, you know, comes up and he feels like there's a better future at another team uh, or another manufacturer, like say junior motorsports or even uh, a Toyota team, you know, does he make that move and go up into the cup or, you know, does he stay with Ford, potentially Stuart Haas or, I think um, that's where he's going. Yeah. That's what I was going to say Yeah, before I like, honestly, between you and me and whoever the heck listens to this deal, I think he's the favorite to drive the four car in 2024. Yeah, that, that's the that's the reasonable. That's a thought bomb that that nobody wants to think about. I think Ryan Priest is a part of their future at Stuart Haas, but he's not going to be in the four car. He'll be in the 10 probably. In, in the 10 and then the four car will be Zane Smith and if Stuart and and Haas decide to separate then they will decide on, you know, the four and the 14 are going to be, I would assume, be Tony's. Or they would say the four goes to Gene, and then the 14 and the and the 10 go to Tony, and then the four and the 41 go to Gene. I, the reality is a Ford is serious. It's either he's going to a big team, meaning he's going to Stuart Oss, he's either going to the woods and driving the 21 car, or he's going to drive for, for Brad at RFK because somebody, one of them is going to buy a charter or they're going to keep them within that system. Or the other thing, which is also very likely, um, they tell Michael McDowell to eat it and he drives a 34 car and it's him and Todd Gillen, which probably isn't that bad of a decision either. Yep. I didn't think that we're stopped. Yeah, I thought you were going to have more there. No, so, I, I don't, uh, I don't really have any, anything else, but yeah, I mean, but, We'll see where he goes in the future, I guess. So, I mean, I guess the other discussion is JHN. You know, Rhodes is going to stay in trucks. He's not leaving. We, we've kind of came to the conclusion he's never leaving the truck series. Chandler Smith's going to to colleague and probably going to be the replacement for AJ Allmendinger in, in the Cup Series eventually. Um, lost from Toyota there. But I think John Hunter Nemechek... I mean, Corey Himes in the Toyota program for sure, uh, along with Tanner Gray. They swiped him from Ford. But John Hunter Nemechek and Lane Riggs, after this this past weekend at um, Phoenix, those are the two prospects that are out there. I mean, the truck series, we're not going to know what the truck series really looks like 
uh, in regards to who's going to compete for a championship. I mean, we're going to get into a little bit with Cobblish Motorsports, but in regards to John Hunter Nemechek, he was the next guy in for 2311. Um, is he going to Xfinity? Is he going for Sam Hunt? Is he going to go to Joe Gibbs? Do they have the funding to, to run him in the Xfinity program? We know Sammy Smith is probably going to be there because he has the pilot Flying J um, money there uh, that funded Michael Annette, and Michael Annette's a part of his fan, a part of his deal there. Um, and then Lane Riggs, uh, son of a driver who used to be in NASCAR's Big Three Series, made a career, but he's trying to make it uh, on merit. Will he get the support? Those are the two guys I think we need to talk about. What is John Hunter going to do? He hedged. He went back to Toyota. He was at Front Row Motorsports, mind you, a couple of years ago driving a cup car. And he won bad. Uh, but he went back. He's like, I want to compete for, for, for trophies. And he gave away a Truck Series Championship last year. And this year gave away a, a chance to win a Truck Series Championship before the Final Four. What is John Hunter Nemechek? That's the real question. What is he? Is he next is he a, is he somebody that can be a champion in the cup level do we really think he can win one i mean his dad was able to beat some legends way back when and win a championship with a family owned organization but john hunter has won races but he's also made decisions and done things that make you wonder wonder if he's the kind of guy that can close but toyota thinks he can close but how far are they going to go to show you that they can close, let alone another guy who is a son of a former driver. What can Lane Riggs bring to the table? I personally think if Friesen knew what was good for him, he'd put him in the 52 and let him run for the championship, and Friesen can go and run his dirt modifieds and win championships too. That would make more sense for HFR, um, but that's my thing. That's my bias mainly because I think Stuart Friesen is a cocksucker. But what do you think about those two guys? Yeah, I mean... You know, first of all, John Hernemichek, I mean, what's immediately what's the future for him? And, you know, could could he be in a Gibbs car next year in Xfinity? You know, he's proved himself, you know, to I I think I don't see him, you know, being in the truck series anymore because I think any any more seasons where he's running for a truck series championship is probably, you know, wasted years uh you know, wasting his talent. But, you know, in Xfinity, you know, could could they uh, put him in a car in uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, or uh, is he, you know, farmed out to the satellite, or at least, um, you know, another Toyota team with Sam Hunt, at least for the near future? And you know, does he stay in that car for a year, and then possibly, you know, with twenty three eleven, they've talked about expanding, you know, to four teams or at least three teams, and already he's, you know, put him. Uh, self as one of the subs for for that team. You know, of course, he was supposed to be the original sub for Kurt Busch before they put in Ty Gibbs, and um, you know, also he's subbed for Bubba Wallace at Homestead this year. So um, he's probably on the short list. Uh, should twenty three eleven decide to expand uh, in twenty twenty four, you know, he could be a, a guy that's uh, in that car. So we'll have to see. Uh, but you know, I think Toyota sees the type of talent that he has and i think i think they know that they're probably uh you know been criticized a lot for the talent that they've let go um and now you know they 
need to figure out how to keep some of the talent that they have on their side. Of course, they're acquiring talent, you know, most notably in the Cup Series with Tyler Reddick going to Toyota with uh, 2311 there. So, um, you know, they they have a chance to, you know, continue to keep talent, add on talent. So, you know, we'll have to see. But, yeah, I think um, John Hunter, he's proved himself enough uh, in – Xfinity to to be there full time. I think uh, at least for a year, waiting on uh, a car, you know, to open up for him in the, in the Cup Series. But you know, that's that's uh, you know what I see for for him in the future. And you know, I just go back to him being able to run, you know, with Ty Gibbs at Richmond. You had a chance to win there, so you know, I don't understand why they why they wouldn't put him in an Xfinity Series car uh, full time. Uh, in 2023. Yeah. And I, I mean, what did you think about lean rigs before? I mean, we have a couple other things, I guess we'll go from there. So, uh, I mean, Jimmy Johnson joining petty GMS as an owner, and he's going to be running limited races. So coming back to NASCAR as a big deal, um, seven time champion joining another seven time champion. Should and, run the 49 car next year. <laughs> Yeah, that would be something. Yeah, seven times seven. Yeah, but he also drove the 44 in ASA, which is why, and is also a petty number over time. Yeah. That would be an interesting, yeah, seven times. I'll always be, yeah, 49. Uh, that would be an interesting play on the champions there. And nobody really runs that 49 car ever since. The only time I remember that was when uh, the BAM racing team ran 49. But other than that, I don't really remember even running that number. That would be an interesting one. I never thought about that, so that's credit to you. So if they run that, then they better take, they better give you credit. Um, but <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy coming back to NASCAR, trying to make the Daytona 500 after a couple of years away, um, brand new car for him to drive compared to being in the Gen 6, driving for a different organization. Will Hendrick have any connection to them since they're an RCR outfit? GMS and Petty have had RCR connections. Will they decide to go to Hendrick for engines? I mean, albeit Hendrick um, makes their engine program and RCR. Uh, I think Chevy has basically combined their programs. So essentially the engine program is the same, but... In regards to building cars, uh, the Project 91 deal, I saw that in, on Twitter where um, Jesse Marks was saying, oh, it's Kimi's car. But I think in regards to what they want to do with it and what everybody's saying and nobody really knows for sure, we figure Alio is going to drive that car at Daytona um, for the 500, which is something considering he's never driven a stock car before other than probably the Brazilian stock car series, which is on road courses, um, how that would all work out. And, um, but you know, I think Kimi Raikkonen, we haven't heard anything from him since he ran at Watkins Glen. So the notion that it's his car, I guess we'll find out at Coda, um, in March when they run there, if, uh, it's his car for sure or not at a track where he has won in a Formula One car. And um, put they put on an interesting race there last year, uh, or this year, in the in the Cup Series car in the dry um, with the Gen 7. Tony was in the booth while, while Briscoe was leading the race, and then that went to hell. Um, 
And then the other piece of news in regards to the trucks before we move on to the roundup uh, is Kyle Busch Motorsports. Uh, They're going to run Chase Purdy full-time in the four truck. They will run Jack Wood for 10 out of the 23 races. And then essentially we would probably think that they're going to run other guys. Austin Dillon's already said he wants to drive a race. I forget Jimmy Johnson. They mentioned that Jimmy Johnson might drive a race in uh, Kyle Busch 51. Um, of course, Jimmy Johnson's never won a truck series race, so that would add, he would add his name to the names of people who have won in all three series. So he wants that, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then Nick Sanchez, the defending ARCA series champion with Rev Racing, will be connected to Kyle Busch Motorsports and making their debut in the truck series. So um, essentially what was the 18 truck will be that team. Uh, Who's left from Kyle Busch Motorsports after this Chevy deal and who's going to be running anything, we don't know. But um, what were your thoughts on all the news items, but specifically Jimmy Johnson coming back to NASCAR as a car owner? leaving the door open to run other op- opportunities, of course. And then um, the Kyle Busch Motorsports announcement with uh, who he's going to bring into the fold for 2023. Yeah, obviously, I think the big news, will, of course, is Jimmy Johnson becoming an owner, uh, part owner in Petty GMS. And yeah, I mean, that I don't think anybody saw that one coming. That was out, out of left field. <laughs> but uh, I guess, you know, the situation kind of came out of uh the similarities with the agents they both so jimmy johnson and uh eric jones have the same agent apparently and um i guess jimmy was looking for some opportunities and his owner or his agent came with a uh you know idea and was able to kind of formulate an idea of potentially coming with the ownership plan and they were able to go and uh convince uh gms and and petty to uh buy a stake into the team and uh it's a you know interesting development we'll see you know with uh what jimmy's able to do as an owner you know and it kind of follows the the trends like we were talking about earlier with drivers uh becoming owners or part owners of a team you know of course denny hamlin uh brad kozlowski uh becoming team owners you know tony stewart of course was already a team owner from uh a long time ago but um you know it it's uh seemingly is becoming a trend now that you know i think all the drivers from previous generation who you know they've are either recently retired or have already been you know past retired you know i I think um you know they see the state i think that you know nascar is in right now and with um you know there's owners of course um who are getting older and, you know, aging out, I guess. And you know, on the other hand, you know, you have um, opportunity to potentially make, you know, make money with, uh, you know, we talked about it earlier with this next gen car and, you know, the costs and everything, uh, you know, there's an opportunity there. So, you know, I, uh, I think uh, the drivers see a uh, ownership, you know, whether it's a uh, current you know, owner drivers like Hamlin and Keselowski or like Stewart or Johnson, you know, being retired and be, being owners, maybe this is the way of uh, them being stewards of the sport and being able to uh, 
you know, lead the sport in a direction, uh, in a healthy direction. We'll see, we'll see if that, that comes out. But, you know, on the other hand, he's also going to do a part-time, uh, driving schedule, which is going to be interesting. Of course, he says he's going to, uh, attempt the Daytona 500, which, uh, did not think he would actually attempt a restrictor plate race ever again, but, um, he, I mean, I don't see him as kind of a restrictor plate guy, but you know he's had success in the Daytona 500 before. Time uh, Daytona 500 yep. winner. Yep, and you know he swept Daytona as well uh, in 2013. He's also uh, been you know a winner in Talladega on on a couple of occasions, and um, you know he's uh, definitely somebody that could uh, win again and if he wins again like what does he do does he just like decide okay we're going full time like kind of like helio castroneves like we thought he was done in indycar except outside of the you know indianapolis 500 in the month of may but then he goes and wins the 500 in 2021 and says okay and the I'm next coming year back. he becomes yeah i'm yeah. coming back he's still he's still fine if he decides oh yeah at age 47 and if they have a charter yeah yeah it makes sense yeah so <laughs> we'll see if that happens which would be really interesting because you know like we all thought, I guess, you know, maybe, maybe it'd be a proper retirement tour for him because, you know, we saw 2020, of course, was supposed to be his original retirement tour. And then, uh, COVID happened and he didn't really have the send off, I guess, at every race that most of the drivers who have retired in the last couple of years have gotten, um, you know, except for the final race at Phoenix, I think. And then, uh, you know, now he's going to have a chance to run, potentially run multiple races, part-time you know, we'll see how it goes and you know we'll see what kind of you know uh muscle i guess he has left in in him as a as a racer uh, besides the daytona 500 because I, I don't think that's going to really take like a whole lot of uh you know driving talent per se it's going to take a lot of mental talent and patience to be able to stay up there and uh you know potentially win that one but as far as you know other races that he may attempt you know, we're going to see how he handles this next-gen car. You know, does he have some kind of advantage because he was in an Indy car? You know, the open wheel, the similarities between this open wheel car and the NASCAR car are not all that different now. And, you know, of course, we've seen, uh, you know, guys like Marco, well, not Marco because he raced in Xfinity, but, you know, Connor Daly and then, um, you know, other guys that have raced in F1 like Kimi and Daniel Kivyat, you know, all of those guys coming from, open wheel cars to nascar now jimmy potentially running uh you know in this car after having uh two years of open wheel experience um could actually give him a, a little bit of an advantage as far as the learning curve to you know learning this next gen car so that's gonna be interesting to see so yeah we'll see on that front how it goes and of course sponsorship does carvana decide to come to the cup series um, he still has that deal with Ally, but they're also sponsoring full time for Alex Bowman. So, wonder how that's going to work out, or if it's going to be more of a personal deal for him there. Uh, and then also, you know, on other fronts that you talked about uh, with Project Ninety One, yeah, I think we have to assume Elio is going to be in the five hundred for Daytona, and then you know, we'll see where Kimi Raikkonen decides to uh, attempt his next race uh does he decide to go to an oval or something like that of course he was already kind of hurt after his crash uh back in august i think he was wearing a wrist uh splint or something on his uh left or right hand um and maybe there's an injury there so we'll have to see how he weighs out his options for that uh and you know if, where does he decide to race and if he goes to an oval or you know if he goes to um 
uh, another road course uh, on the schedule. We'll have to see. Um, you know, there's a street race in Chicago next year. Maybe you know, with F1 have has had street races. Of course, Monaco is the most famous street race. Does he decide to attempt Chicago or something like that? You know, we'll have to see. Um, and then KBM. You know, they're basically downsizing uh, next year. Chase Purdy full time, Jack Wood part time with Kyle Busch. Uh, and then I guess they're gonna um, support Revolution or yeah, Rev Racing to uh, run Nick Sanchez. It's gonna be interesting to see. You know, of course they are downsizing as a team, but uh, you know, it's I guess if they're supporting another team, it's not really downsizing because they're now just concentrating their efforts to help another team. Um, you know, rather than run two full time teams and a part time team, so. Uh, it's going to be interesting, and you know we talked about it in the lead up to the show. You know both of these drivers, Purdy and Wood, aren't very good. Um, so you know I think potentially be a rebuilding year for Kyle Busch Motorsports after you know transitioning to Chevrolet. You know I think it's going to be interesting transition, and we'll have to see you know how these drivers fare out and how much mentorship is Kyle Busch going to um, you know need to have in this team and you know of course uh you know the whole reason why he's still running this team because he he could have just left and folded up shop but you know he's got 50 employees 55 employees and you know wanted to keep them going so it's just as much for his employees as it is for him to keep racing um and of course uh probably you know keep them employed and everything and eventually that's probably going to be his son's path uh into nascar and into the cup series is probably through Kyle Busch Motorsports, so got to keep it around running for him. So, you know, we'll we'll see how this team is in 2023. Um, you know, compared to last year, what's the fall off going to be? Just just from a speed wise, not a talent, you know, perspective and you know, how they race, but just like you know, in, in qualifying practice, uh, what's their speed going to be like compared to how they were last year and in previous years where they're used to being in the top half of the the charts and the top five of the charts every week. You know, are they going to have speed fall off and be closer to the bottom of the top 10 or, you know, even outside the top 10 when it comes to practice and qualifying times, we'll have to see. But um, yeah, it should be interesting, especially with two, two drivers that are, you know, largely unproven here in, in the, uh, in the truck series. Definitely. And two guys that are known for destroying equipment too, especially Jack Wood, who's pretty terrible. Um and he's the anchor guy on the 51 car or 51 truck. So that uh, speaks to the fact that they need funding. Um, and even though, yeah, for as much as they need funding there, that's, yeah, it tells you how bad Kyle Busch motor. He went from having two guys that were competing for a championship to two guys that are going to destroy a lot of equipment. So that's something that we're going to see for sure. I mean, Jimmy coming back is huge. Um, he's going to run the, uh, project 56 deal. I mean, it's basically out there. It hasn't been fully announced, but Jimmy, Jeffy and, uh, Mike Rockefeller are going to be running that project 56 car. Um, Jimmy, I think wants to run the double. So I figure Ganassi will give him a car to try to do that at Indy. And then he'll try to qualify for the 500 and then try to make the 600. Um, it'll be easier to make the 600. It'll make the 500, to be fair. Um, so that'll be interesting. 
He said he's got off-road opportunities, which would be huge considering that's where he came from. Uh, there's other things he's got going on. So so we'll see what happens with Jimmy Johnson. Hopefully uh, we can – his investment in Petty GMS speaks to him wanting to stay stateside. Um, some of the stuff he said after the IndyCar season made it seem like he was going to move to Europe. But I guess after the discussion with all of his ladies in his life, um, he's gonna stay here. I say ladies in his life, meaning his wife and two daughters, along with probably mom, um, told him to stay over here. And he's like, well, I got shit tons of money. I'm going to go invest in a cup team. Uh, and that's what he did. So, um, it, that's, it's cool to see Jimmy Johnson, uh, investing in the cup series and investing as an owner. And not only that, but possibly being able to put some more, um, put another great person in the in the sport as as an owner. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, KVM. I'm I'm just rooting for Nick Sanchez. I'm just glad he's going to have an opportunity uh, to run for a title. And I think he's he's an underground uh, favorite for a truck series title. I mean, Zane Smith and then the Thor Sport people, they're all going to be there. But after that, who who's there? Nick Sanchez is, is a favorite, honestly. And I kind of want to look at his odds right now and put some money on him because I think he has a good chance. Running with Kyle Busch, RCR, all, that, all the support they're going to have there to possibly go and win a championship. All right, so let's get into the roundup. Uh, Peko Bagnaya wins the MotoGP World Championship at uh, Valencia, becomes the first Ducati rider to win a world championship since Casey Stoner um, had issues at the start of the race um, with uh, Fabio Quattararo. Um, there was, um, they lost uh, one of the winglets off of his bike early in the race. So, that was part of what affected him. He kind of just laid back during the whole entire uh, race. To He only had to finish 14th to lock up the championship, so it didn't really matter. Um, Alex Rins in the last race for Suzuki in MotoGP for this time, maybe ever, uh, wins by just under four-tenths over Brad Binder on the KTM, who had a great ride. Jorge Martin finished third after starting on pole. Fabio Quattararo and trying to defend his world championship finished fourth. Uh, the top four were within two seconds. Miguel Oliveira finished fifth for KTM in his last ride on the factory uh, bike. He's going to be going back. He'll be dropping down to the uh, satellite outfit. Joanne Mir, former world champion, finished sixth. Luca Marini and Nea Bastaini finishes third in the world championship ahead of his future teammate, Pecco Bagnaia, the world champion and Pecco's uh, good friend and uh, former runner up in the world championship, Franco Morbidelli, uh, who finished 10th, one of his better runs of the year. Uh, so Yamaha has a lot of work to do going into 2023, a lot of work to do to keep. Fabio Quattararo from going to Honda or wherever, Ducati, because they got all these bikes. So see what happens with that. But Alex Rins 
gets the win for Suzuki. Peko Bagdaya wields the championship by 17 points. Biggest comeback ever in the history of MotoGP. Uh, 91 points behind at one point and uh, came back to win. He won five Grand Prix, finished second once and tw- third twice in the span of, what is it, five, six, seven, eight, nine races to make that comeback um, after socks and ring and um, huge, huge uh, result there to go and win by 17 points. Um, most DNFs by a world champion as well. So uh, five world five DNFs goes and gets that first since Casey Stoner for Ducati, first Italian to win the world championship since one Valentino Rossi, the goat. Um, so one of the first, he's the first uh, world champion for the VR forty six uh, um, academy in the Moto GP World Championship. Uh, they've won Moto Two and Moto Three championships. So uh, Valentino Rossi proving once again he is cultivating talent, cultivating the future of motorcycle racing there. In the team's title, of course, Ducati wins, Constructors as well. Um, Alicia Spargo had an engine problem early in the race and lost out on a, what should have been a third-place finish for him. Um, Jack Miller fell off his bike trying to go for third in the world championship in his last race for Ducati. Binder finishes a point behind his soon-to-be teammate. Alex Renz, Johan Zarco, Johan Martin. Jorge Martin and Miguel Oliveira round out the top 10. In Moto2, the results of the race at Valencia, Pedro Acosta gets the victory, but Augusto Fernandez wins the Moto2 World Championship before he moves up to a race for Gas Gas um, in the KTM uh, second team. He will be the world champion moving up. Tony Arbolino was third. Ramin Aldeguer, Albert Arenas makes up your top five. Uh, There was an accident early in the race for Cameron Bobier, Alonzo Lopez, Celestino Vietti. um, All those guys, I mean, Celestino Vietti had a retirement there early in the race. Cameron Bobier in his last race for um, in Moto2. Gets knocked out early. He had a good qualifying run uh, there to get him in that spot. Uh, Alonzo Lopez for up to fourth. Yeah, so unfortunate end for Cameron Bobier to finish his Moto2 career. We'll see what he's going to do next year uh, in Moto America. So it'll be nice to see him back here in the States riding Moto America. Um, multiple champion there. Sean Dillon Kelly fell um, outside the points in 18th. Joe Roberts was the last point scorer in 15th. The point standings, Augusto Fernandez wins. Ayagura didn't get any points there. He didn't get any points in the last three races or last two races. Um, I don't know what that is there. Yeah, last two races. Aaron Kinnett finishes third, Tony Arbolino fourth, 
Pedro Acosta fifth. Joe Roberts ends up finishing ninth in the championship. Um, Bobier seventeenth, and Sean Dillon Kelly twenty ninth um, in the world championship for Moto Two in Super GT. Uh, Bertrand Baguette and the CalSonic Impul team, the CalSonic Nissan uh, Z these days. It used to be the GTR from the old Gran Turismo days, but now it's a Z. Uh, wins the first title for Nissan since 2015 in the GT500 category, and uh, the first win for the Impul team since 1997 so 25 years for the um for the impul z nissan team to get the championship naoki yamamoto or no that's the winners of the gt the kazuki hiramine and bertrand baguette the former indycar driver who has raced in japan for many years uh to go and get that victory um I mean, J.P. D. Oliveira, who's been in America running sports cars and stuff, won the championship in GT300 and the Nissan GTR. Um, Hideki Muto, former Andretti Autosport IndyCar driver in the IRL, uh, won for Arta NSX in the GT300 category. So I'm going to results here. Yeah. Uh, the CalSonic Impulse Z team finished second. Uh, their closest rival in the number three Craft Sports Motul Z, um, Nissan uh, Chio and Takaboshi finished fourth. So, um, yeah, and then the, the Motul Autec Z 23 car with Matsuda and Quintarelli, the historic uh, uh, factory Nissan Z car finished 13th in class. Uh, finished three, uh, finished, only ran late laps. I got in an accident with a Sard Supra in GT500. I don't know why, in GT300. Yeah, you know, we talked about the Arta NSX, Hideki Muto. Koski Matsura, former IndyCar driver, uh, finished second in a Lamborghini. And then, uh, as I mentioned, I'm set a Trying to look for where the GTR Nissan finished. It's not anywhere up close. Yeah, the um, yeah they finished nineteenth. Jesus. Oh, so they didn't even have to. They just had to show up. That's what that was. All right. Well, credit to them. Nissan gets both championships. It's nice. And it's a better. It's a good day. Nissan gets both world both championships and and Super GT. Um, excuse me. Um, in WEC at Bahrain, last race of their championship here this year, the standings going into the final race, there's a tie between the Toyota team, Sebastian Buemi, Brendan Hartley, Rio Hirakawa, their car, and then the Alpine of Negral, Lapierre, and Vaxivier. So that we'll see whoever finishes out of the other will uh, win the Drivers' Championship there. Um, LMP2 teams, Joda Sport, 
has the lead over United Auto Sports, and it's more than twenty-five points. So ninety-six oh six, yeah, yeah, they have they have more than a twenty-five point lead. So Jota Sports won that. GTM has a TF Sport has a twenty-point lead over Northwest AMR. Both are um, Aston Martin teams in Hypercar. It's uh, Toyota's already won because they have a twenty-six point lead over Alpine Cup for GT manufacturers. That's going to come down to the wire uh, at this race. Only one point between Ferrari and Porsche. LMP2 drivers, Roberto Gonzalez, Antonio Felix da Costa, and Will Stevens are up by 28 points on Oliver Jarvis, Josh Pearson. Um, so that that's basically done. Uh, GTM drivers, Ben Keating, and Marco Sorensen, the teammates, are up by 20 points on Paul Dallana and David Pittard and Nikki Team. So we'll see if Ben Keating can win that championship before he moves over to Corvette Racing next year for GTM. Uh, Alexander Perguidi and James Collado are the uh, GT Pro leaders by 11 on Michael Christensen and Kevin Estra, the Porsche drivers, and... 14 on Jimmy Bruni, who's also a Porsche driver. So Ferrari versus Porsche there. Um, Going into the finale at Bahrain, plenty of stuff to get into after the race. Iron Lynx will be running the Lamborghini LMDH program and also running Lamborghinis in GT, including running at Daytona and the um, Michelin um endurance championship or whatever the hell they call it the the michelin cup or whatever for all the endurance races that also includes the um iron dames ladies the the ladies team that has stood out here this year they won at uh the 24 hours of spa so that'll be uh, cool to see hopefully they'll be running a ladies or at least run ladies here in America, uh, they have a great program there. We'll be looking forward to seeing Lamborghini here, but that's more in 2024, uh, not as much uh, in 2023. In uh, World Superbikes, two races to go in their championship. Uh, the standings, basically, Alvaro Bautista racing for a World uh, Superbike Championship. He is 75 82 points ahead of Toprak Raskat Lioku, defending world champion. He's got a 98-point lead on Johnny Ray. So it it could be locked up this weekend at uh, at uh, Indonesia. But um, they have this race and then also at Phillip Island the following week to go and decide that championship. We'll talk about it here on the GSP. And, um, I mean, of course, uh, Garrett Gerloff will be running for BMW next year in World Superbike. Um, no other Americans as of now that we can see that will be in World Superbike. So we'll see what Garrett Gerloff can do. A lot of changes come into World Superbikes uh, for riders next year. In WRC, the championship's already over in the World Rally Championship. But they have one race to go. Atanek is leaving Hyundai, the former world champion, 
Uh, we have Essa Pekka Lappi who's going to be taking over his ride. And then um, in future roadmap, I don't know, 70% complete. Okay, whatever. So the standings right now going into uh, this race, I think the top two are already set. I mean, what is it? He has a 30-29 point lead. So yeah, Cali Rovampera is the world champion. Um, Atanek right now is in second. Thierry Neuville third. Elfrin Evans fourth. And Takamoto Katsuda is fifth. Craig Breen and the best Ford is sixth. Um, running the full time. But then you have Sebastian Auger, Um former world multi-time world champion is eighth and he's only run like four grand four eight three races it tells you how the world rally championship is it's the first time i think they've had uh rally japan as their closer but um interesting to see what what comes to the four here um it's 17 points between evans and katsuda the teammates um i doubt that Unless Katsuda goes all out of his mind, that will be ever beat Evans there um, in Rally Japan. But we will tell you if that does happen. Um, Ogier, who has only run one, two, three, four, five races, and he won the last race at uh, Rally Spain to get to sixth in the championship. He is six points ahead of Craig Breen, um, Sordo, Lappy, Greensmith, Round out the top 10, Sebastian Loeb, who has only run four races this year, won at Rally Monte Carlo, finished eighth in, I don't even know what that is, and then had two retirements in four races, is 11th. So we'll see what happens. We'll talk about it next week on uh, the GSP for episode 144. Josh, I'll throw it to you. Um, there were a lot of trades, 10 trades, more than a, uh, we've seen in a while in the NFL. I think they need to move the trade. They're talking about moving the trade deadline back, which would make it a lot more interesting. Uh, but in regards to the Jaguars, they traded James Robinson to the Jets, but didn't really change. It didn't slow you guys down. You're able to go and get a big win in um, at home. You got to celebrate your birthday with a victory, uh, keep yourselves in the hunt, sorta, in the NF or AFC South, because the Colts are basically done now, with Jeff Saturday now becoming their coach. Um, Tennessee lost to Kansas City, but they're probably going to win this. Houston's out, but they have a running back. Jacksonville's in this division. They have an outside chance of winning, getting themselves in the playoff, but it's going to be very tough, and they're not going to have a very... Um, long playoff run if they do get into the playoffs but they still have a chance yeah i mean it's gonna be interesting the uh last couple of weeks of the season last you know um uh, nine games i guess uh eight games of the season left um well first of all you know the uh trade for calvin ridley i mean i was hoping that they would pick a wide receiver or you know trade for a wide receiver and i was you know hoping for like a chase claypool or you know, something like that, you know, someone who's a big target, uh, is fast and can, um, you know, pick up, uh, yards after the catch, things like that. 
and you know be a deep threat for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you know, expand the the field for the boundaries, but they surprised me by going for the Calvin Ridley move, and it's surprising because you know Ridley, I completely forgot about him. You know, he's uh, currently not active right now, um, and he's been suspended for gambling on the NFL, and uh, the NFL. Uh, you know, suspended him for a year, and you know, of course, ironically, the game that he bet on uh, with uh, the Falcons was the Falcons game betting on the Falcons against the Jaguars last season. Uh, you know, after Thanksgiving, so yeah, that was a uh, pretty funny that now he's playing or going to be playing for the team uh, that you know he bet against a, a season ago. So you know, funny how it all works out. But, you know, of course, suspended right now, we'll have to apply for reinstatement, and we'll see, you know, if he can be the uh, number one uh, wideout, uh, which he looked like he was before being suspended. He looked like he was a, a number one wide receiver and then uh, for the Falcons. So, uh, you know, I think he can be that same type of player for uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence uh, there. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes in 2023. But, uh, and, and he does look like he's going to be, uh, training as well. He's heard that he's uh, kept up his training regimen and everything like that. So, you know, expect him to, you know, come out and be be motivated to come out and play in 2023. So, you know, hopefully it works out. But, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, this uh, game on Sunday, they played the Oakland Raiders. They went down 17 to zero in uh, the first quarter, uh, you know, first half. Uh, but then they came back and scored a touchdown before the half and then they got a field goal made it uh you know 20 to 10 uh and then they scored two touchdowns in the third quarter uh you know and were able to go out and you know take the lead uh from you know from the the Raiders you know they had a close game you know they fourth quarter the Raiders had some opportunities but then you know they just couldn't convert on uh fourth down at the end of the game and then you know the Jaguars missed a field goal, gave the Raiders some hope, uh, but then you know they couldn't convert on fourth down again. And then uh, the uh, Jaguars just got enough, uh, and then they eventually made the field goal. And then the Raiders had one last gasp at you know trying to get the win, but then they you know they were able to um, not do anything, and uh, they turned it over on down to end the game. So. Uh, you know, good, good performance by Trevor Lawrence. Uh, first half wasn't really that great. Uh, just, uh, wasn't, you know, making enough plays, but then second half kind of turned it around or actually ended the first half really, uh, being able to drive down the field, uh, had a couple of running plays and I was joking with my, my family. I was like, Oh, is this Blake Bortles again? And, you know, he, you know, had some good runs there at the end of the half to get them into field goal range. And then they got the field goal and then, uh, you know, second half of the game, they uh, had they were jump started by a good kick return from Jamal Agnew, and then you know uh, they were able to get the touchdown there, and then uh, you know Trevor Lawrence uh, got it to Christian Kirk in the end zone, and then you know they uh, had another uh, play to uh, later in the game to uh, Travis Etienne, and you know also Trevor Lawrence was about to get sacked in the end zone, but he made a good pass to Marvin Jones. Uh, so, you know, Marvin caught the ball and was able to uh, get the first down uh, towards, you know, the end of the game in the fourth quarter. And, you know, that was a good play, you know, showed Trevor's patience and ability to stay in it and uh, avoid the sack and uh, get the conversion. So it was a pretty good play there. Um, 
So, you know, it was a fun day uh, and everything. I was uh, able to you know, enjoy with, um, you know, with my brother, and my dad, and one of our other friends that, uh, you know, came with us. And uh, we were able to, you know, go out there and, you know, watch the Jaguars defeat the Raiders. And, you know, I'm glad glad that they won uh, on, you know, for, for my birthday. You know, not on my birthday, but it was a couple days after it. So um, glad, you know, I was able to attend that and actually see them win. You know, of course, the last time, the Jaguars were down by at least 17 points and came out in a win was 2017 or 2014 against the New York Giants. And we um, were down, I think, 21 to zero in the first half and then uh, came back in the second half uh, and, you know, defeated them 24 to 25. And so now the Jacksonville Jaguars have a record of two and 116 when it comes to, you know, being down at least by 17 points and, uh, I was actually at both of those comebacks, so pretty interesting statistic there. Um, you know, of course, mentioned earlier the streaker, uh, you know, jumped off the you know the ledge or whatever and ran out onto the field as the uh, Raiders are punting it, and then that stopped the play. Uh, and then yeah, you know, I think he ran for like seventy yards on the field, and then uh, apparently he was also greased up in Vaseline uh, somehow, and um, you know he was greased up and everything and then uh took a couple of security people to tackle him uh and everything so you know he made i guess made an impact on the game and uh you know some jokes and memes going around about that but uh yeah he that was an interesting moment for sure but uh you know funny funny thing to happen because then also the last time that i was at the, the jaguars game last year in uh december against the houston texans there was another fan that jumped jumped out onto the uh the field and uh it was a running play and then he jumped out on the field and said i'm open i'm open trevor and uh they ran james robinson ran it in for a touchdown so um yeah i don't know i don't know why that keeps happening but apparently it does uh I don't know if it's a Florida man thing or not, but it's kind of interesting there. But yeah, the Jaguars now two and a half games behind in the AFC South to the Texans or to the Titans. The Titans, of course, lost on Sunday night football to the Chiefs, who the Jaguars will play next Sunday uh, in Kansas City, uh, one o'clock game. So, you know, we'll see what kind of game the Jaguars can play against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Doug Peterson, a, a student of Andy Reid, so maybe pl- uh, play style wise going to be very similar. Uh, but of course the um, Chiefs uh, struggled against the Titans during that game. The Titans play a very physical brand of football uh, and they, they took it to the Chiefs. The Chiefs were able to basically just like squeak by with a victory uh, there. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Jaguars are able to do. Um, yeah. A week after the Chiefs have been, you know, tested to the brink of their, you know, uh, you know, their system, um, you know, do they underplay the Jags and think that, you know, it's going to be easy win after a, a tough fought game uh, and then lay an egg or something like that, or, you know, the Jags going to be really tested uh, because, you know, the, um, you know, they haven't really faced a team like the Chiefs in a while. So, you know, we'll see, you know, if they can go up there and um, have a game at least against the Chiefs um, be competitive. And, you know, hopefully I'd like to see them win. I'm not sure yet though. So I'll, I'll, I won't feel good about a win or confident about a win until after the first quarter and after the way that they play. So, you know, we'll see what happens uh, next Sunday against the Chiefs. But, yeah, good game overall. You know, glad to be there for it. Uh, 
And then, of course, fantasy-wise, uh, closed out should should be closing out with the win here. So uh, good to right the ship there for at least this week, and you know continue on and, and um, you know go for there for uh, the fantasy leagues. So um, yeah, good good week overall. Glad to finally finally get a win after you know five close losses in a row. You know, not sure how much I, more of it I could take, but you know at least finally uh, finally get a win. Yeah, your guys get a win in in real football and then you get the fantasy win fall just outside of the d- dual uh, record deal because everybody ahead of you scored over 200 points you scored a lot of you scored 189 in the end uh, the the final tally yeah you finished sixth i end up getting the win i had mainly because i had joe mixon and joe burrow um Essentially, my whole entire team, I mean, Kenyon Drake scored two touchdowns today uh, for Baltimore against New Orleans in their 27-13 victory. So my running backs had 93.7 points in my fantasy deal. Uh, Joe Mixon, of course, had five touchdowns yesterday and 63.5 points. Uh, Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence scored... 51 points, I think 75, 95, so 50.95 points. So my my whole entire fantasy productivity came from four players uh, there because I have nobody else on my team. Uh, Drake Jackson had 8.3, and he probably is done. Two guys are on bye. I have somebody on IR, so got to win there. Got to win in my other one, the other league. Uh, that I'm in, moved myself up to ninth there um, in fall brawl. My league, I moved myself up to sixth, so I'm back in playoff contention, a game ahead of three teams, including Vic, who um, is making a comeback, trying to get himself back in the mix. He's in the top five. Wilson, Wilson has won four weeks this year, and he's had three different team names in that span conveniently so he's trying to win this championship for i think the third time uh hopefully i can prevent that um this is the best week i've had this year um i finished fourth twice um fourth twice fifth once or fifth twice fourth and fifth twice so this is my best week of the year but wasn't enough to go and pass them or we won our sleeper league niners were on a bye hopefully um health um elijah mitchell a couple other players are on ir ready to return so we'll see if those guys can come back christian mccaffrey of course is the big story in regards to the offense but we need everybody on both sides of the ball especially in the secondary and the back seven uh to be back so that if the niners have a chance to beat teams like philly teams like seattle they're going to need to defend and um, that's what's going to have to happen. Minnesota, with their their offense at 7-1, and one, right now the Niners are going to be traveling for sure. Um, unless a miracle happens, they're going to end up traveling for all three of the games if they want to go and get, get to Arizona for a Super Bowl. So we'll see about that. Good week in fantasy. Hoping for a good week in bowling. It's been a rough year so far. Um, had a little bright spot on Thursday 
hoping to follow that through this week um, with three three days of bowling and put up some good scores. If not, as long as we win, it's fine. But as long as I do my thing, it'll be fine too. Um, but we'll see what happens. That will, of course, go over it because as we're getting to the point of this racing season's getting over, we're gonna have to start talking about football. So we'll be talking about it more next week for sure. Uh, Formula One Brazilian Grand Prix uh, this coming weekend, Josh. And um, I mean, we figure it's the last sprint of the year. I mean, it's something uh, I'll give the now two-time uh, Formula One world champion Max Verstappen credit. He came out and said, I don't know why we're running so many sprint races. Um, I agree with that. I mean, there really shouldn't be this many sprints because they don't have enough engine power units uh, to run sprints, let alone the fact that sprints don't really do anything to the race itself. Um but there is a sprint race this weekend, last one of the year. Last year, it provided one of the best races of the year because they DQ'd um, Lewis Hamilton in qualifying, sent him to the back. He moved all the way up to 10th in the sprint and then uh, won the Brazilian Grand Prix on one of his better performances of his illustrious career. Um Right now, I think that's the last win right now. That's the last race he's won um, in the process. I mean, Max Verstappen tried to run him off the track. But Lewis won, or no, he won uh, He won Saudi. So, yeah, last time he's won a race was the first Saudi Grand Prix when um, Max Verstappen tried to break test him and send him into the, into the sky. Uh, but more than likely, I mean, I think I know where you're going. I know where I'm going for a win here. But uh, the better question is, what do you see behind Rex Verstappen? Do we see Sergio Perez continuing uh, his pull to get to second in the world championship? Do we see Ferrari actually show up? Or will Mercedes um, put up a fight here this weekend at Brazil? Yeah, it's an interesting thing, you know, with how you bring that up. Because, I mean, you've already started out in the outline for next week's show and we were already calling Max Verstappen winning for a 15th time this season and, you know, just an endless uh, pursuit of victories for Max Verstappen. But, you know, behind that, of course, is what is more compelling now. Uh, you know, with Lewis Hamilton, he's been doing pretty well as of late. And then, you know, as his uh, teammate or Max Verstappen's teammate um, has been doing pretty well. And Sergio Perez, last couple of races, finishing on the podium, uh, and uh, Lewis finishing on the podium. So, you know, it's a very you know interesting uh, turn of events here. You know, last couple of races, you know, we have a sprint race as well, which may make the lineup a little bit more interesting. Um, you know, Lewis. I mean, can he can he uh, close the season? You know, uh, with another. I mean, we still have two more races left, but can you get a, another podium, you know, before the end of the season? You know, it's definitely possible. You know, this is the race last year that almost sprang-loaded the comeback for, uh, you know, his championship, or what should have been his championship last year. Um, you know, this was the, you know, where we really thought that maybe Lewis could have won. And, you know, can he come back to this track and the circuit and, you know, go out and win? 
or you know if somehow Verstappen fails to win this race or you know can he you know go on the podium get a second or a third you know I, I think they've shown a lot of pace a lot of improvement the last couple of races so you know I think Lewis definitely has that capability and you know I think uh, also uh you know Sergio Perez last couple of races he's done pretty well um and you know I think he can continue that streak and um you know get get some of that success uh that you know Verstappen and you know both of them have cars on the podium uh, as we close out the season. But you know I think we also have to bring up Ferrari. You know Ferrari. Uh, you know last couple of races, you know they've kind of been hit or miss. Uh, you know they both well not really, but you know they not on the level that uh, Red Bull and Mercedes have been performing for sure. And uh, you know Carlos Sainz finished fifth and. Uh, Charles Leclerc finished in in sixth uh, at Mexico in the previous race uh, in USGP. Leclerc, you know, uh, finished in third, and his teammate uh, did not even finish the race. First lap crash, but so it's been been up and down for Ferrari. And you know, can they come to uh, Brazil? Can they come there and and race uh, possibly for a podium? I think. Um, they definitely might have the speed for it, but, you know, again, it's been the story of their years, their strategy calls and, um, you know, their ability to handle themselves under pressure. Um, they just haven't been able to, um, you know, convert that into wins or, in, you know, in, into uh, podiums. So that's something to look out for, I think, this weekend is is uh, how does Ferrari uh, race? How do they uh, perform in comparison to uh, Mercedes and and to Red Bull, of course, who has already won the uh, constructors' title and everything. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be interesting. You know, also, uh, you know, looking at the the midfield, you know, with uh, you know McLaren and uh, Alpine. You know, they've been. I think those two two teams have been you know racing pretty well. You know, as of late, uh, you know, Lando's finished pretty good the last couple of races. Uh, Esteban Ocon's been up there. You know, Alonso uh, had his, you know, stuff. Uh, you know, he's been racing somewhat pretty well. He's uh, always good kind of as a, a wild card pick as well. Uh, you know, Ricardo had his good run uh, in Mexico City. So um, could they continue those, you know, those drivers from those teams? Can they continue to perform, uh, you know, as we close out the year? And, you know, um, can they have a good good run another good result before the end of the season so you know it's gonna be interesting to watch uh you know this midfield battle um as we get get to the end of the year and you know sort out you know who's um you know in front of who at the end of the season um as far as uh the midfield goes so yeah it's gonna be something that we'll look out for too but you know i agree with with you what you said earlier with sprint races um, definitely I think there's an excess of that and you know especially with the way things are right now with the Formula One I mean last year the sprint race seemed to provide entertainment value but that was only because the championship was uh, so close between Verstappen and Hamilton and this year now it's a runaway you know kind of seems pointless to have the sprint races uh, you know especially now that the season's basically over. Yeah, it's something we're going to see on Saturday. I mean, qualifying will be on Friday afternoon, and then Saturday they'll have the sprint. But I don't think it'll make that much of a difference. Uh, personally, I think uh, Mercedes will get one on the podium. Figure Lewis will be on the podium. Uh, I think Ferrari will be on the podium. I don't think Sergio 
um, will get on there. I think um, Charles Leclerc gets a second. Lewis gets third beyond Max. And then Sergio Perez finishes fourth, um, which puts more pressure uh, for the finale for second in the world championship. Um, that also means that more than likely uh, Mercedes won't get second in the constructors because they would need both Ferraris to be out of the points and both Mercedes score big points to get back into it. Um, I figure George Russell gets another top five uh, in that spot. And then we're, we're kind of status quo. Um, after that, uh, I do think that these next two races kind of fit Alpine if they can go and finish a deal. Uh, so they'll finish ahead of McLaren. Uh, what is it? Aston. Aston Martin's on a run here. I feel like Aston Martin's going to pass the Alpha Romeo team uh, for, what is it, uh, seventh in the constructors. And then in uh, the battle for eighth and ninth, Alpha Tori goes and passes uh, Haas here in the next two races. But we will see um, how that all works out. Um, speaking of Haas, uh, the rumors are out there that Nico Hulkenberg will be um, taking over for, um, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Mick Schumacher at, uh, at Haas to uh, become a driver there uh, in uh, for two veteran drivers to take over there at Haas to uh, save damage and the whole bit. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Supposedly that announcement will be coming here this week. Um, but with that, we are um, now time for the sim segment, Josh. Let us know what uh, you're doing in regards to iRacing and other gaming and other things that you're seeing out there in the sim realm. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, as always, um, you know, I've been racing on iRacing last week. Uh, did some racing at Phoenix uh, with the, the Xfinity car and it was definitely a, a challenge. Uh, I'd never raced at Phoenix before with this uh, new layout, um, you know, with the dog leg and everything. And uh, it was a bit of a different experience because, like, running the the dog leg, um, you kind of, I guess, because I, I use one monitor, I don't have multiple monitors, and um, you kind of lose your field of view almost because you cut to the dog leg and then you you still have to maintain your field of vision to the other cars. And sometimes it's like running the dog leg, you kind of lose track of where you are uh, in relation to the other cars. And, you know, you have to make sure you don't make contact or anything like that. And, you know, as you cut, you know, down and cut the dog leg and then come back up, you had to make sure you don't uh, run into anybody. And that was a little bit of a challenge doing that. Um, you know, the, it was interesting the the corners I guess like you know turn turns what used to be three and four now one and two uh, you know you, you got to kind of pedal it through the you know from the uh, braking zone through the uh, you know the exit of the corner until you get the exit you kind of pedal you know feathering the throttle and then you you know accelerate off the corner but you got to make sure you don't you know get on the gas too quickly or else you get into the wall and then you can almost kind of send it in into the three and four, uh, use the bottom and then just, you know, brake hard and then just pick up the gas and then just let the car kind of come back to, uh, the wall or you can cut back down to the dog leg. 
uh, and get a good run down into the turn one or, you know, use the momentum into the dog legs. So, uh, to cut the dog legs. So it's, uh, interesting how to run, you know, how you can run that track. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a, a track that takes a lot of finesse. It's a definitely kind of a driver's track in a way. And that's kind of how I felt about the racing this weekend at Phoenix is that you, know, you definitely had to have a good technique to run the, uh, you know, run that track. And, um, you know, it's not quite the same as the old Phoenix was, uh, you know, where you could really run hard and everything, but you know, this, this track, you know, takes a lot of finesse and, um, you know, in certain, certain parts, you know, you can run, run aggressive, but, you know, I feel like, you know, turns one and two really make or decide your lap and how, how you know quick you're going to be. So, uh, it was a good experience running that. Um, think this week on iRacing, uh, well, now now that NASCAR is over, it kind of deviates from the real-life NASCAR schedule, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe do some iRacing Super Speedway with the trucks, maybe, possibly. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, see what else here on the schedule this week for NASCAR. Uh, class, class A NASCAR fixed at Kansas. Uh, iRacing Super Speedway, I already mentioned that. Legends Series, so the 87s at Talladega might do that. Possibly always try to do the the super speedways there because it's fun to run 225 miles an hour in a stock car unrestricted. And then you actually have to lift in the corner uh, and everything. Uh, Chicago land for iRacing Xfinity. So uh, maybe run that. I don't know yet. Um, let's see. For IndyCar, for IndyCar this week on iRacing. Oh, they're also at Talladega. So that's going to be incredible as well. So running uh 260 miles an hour down into turn three or two 250 maybe i don't know so that should be interesting as well uh going that type of speed uh in an indy car um other you know other things let's see for road racing uh road racing we got the usf 2000 at gateway uh global mazda mx5 cup at summit point raceway always good uh, spec racer uh so that's the sport sports car club of america spec racer fords at uh indianapolis motor speedway road course uh ferrari gt3 evo at road america uh so there's gonna be a lot a lot of choices uh to run you know especially as the off season comes into play you know you get bored gotta get that racing fix in and you know you gotta go run on iRacing or whatever racing game of your choice is so uh, yeah, definitely probably have some time this week to run iRacing. Maybe, I don't know, we might we might have another storm here in Florida in November. Maybe you have some time uh, to run on iRacing, but I don't know if the storm is going to be major enough to get any serious time off uh, from that. So we'll see. But, of course, try to do it on the weekend or something like that um, and, uh, you know, try to run on there. And, you know, of course, uh, you know, end the show, you know, of course, you can – Follow me on Twitter at JP Huffine and, you know, see all my, you know, things that uh, I have to say about the Jaguars, about racing, you know, about other things. And of course, uh, you can, you can follow uh, me on Twitch and see my stuff on Twitch at Twitch TV slash UCLR2 and go there and watch my, my stuff uh, when I race. I'll tweet out the link when I'm streaming and everything. So you can watch me run on there. Uh, and of course you can, uh, you know, follow 
you know, Grip Strip Podcast YouTube where you know, we have everything and where we have our videos from the last couple of weeks. You can go in there and see uh, what we have what we have to say and, uh, you know, see our faces, see our latest episodes and everything if you choose to watch a video form where, uh, instead of audio. So go in there, subscribe to our page, and, you know, continue to support the efforts here uh, that we're doing right now. So, uh, yeah, uh, Phil... Turn it over to you, of course. Uh, you know, always, as always, you know, glad to continue to do it with you. And um, you know, we're closing out the racing season in 2022, getting closer to the end and everything. And it's been been a pretty interesting year. Of course, a lot of things that happened, and you know, we had our opinions and takes on all of it. So you know, glad NASCAR's over and everything. And um, but you know, glad that we were able to cover it this year. Yeah, we got. I'm glad that you were with me this whole way and. Glad that we'll be able to do this for a while, hopefully, uh, God willing, uh, because we have a good thing going here. I mean, thanks to you for, uh, as always, being my sidekick and right-hand man and backing me up on the good days, the bad days, and everything. And also to Clayton Caldwell for coming in um, and giving us his takes on NASCAR Cup. Uh, We will be back next week. Of course, you can find me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. You can find us at Gripster Pod on Twitter, at Gripster Podcast on YouTube, as Josh mentioned. That's where we have the video feed as we hear shredding going on over there, and conveniently while I'm finishing the show. Um, we will be back next week for um, episode 144 of the Gripster Podcast, going over everything that happens at the Brazilian Grand Prix or Sao Paulo. Grand Prix, um, all things uh, WEC to end their season. World Superbikes will have their next last race this coming week, and then their finale at Phillip Island, Rally Japan, and the World Rally Championship. And then we'll talk about the season finale in Formula 2, uh, where Logan Sargent is trying to get enough super license points to become a Formula 1 driver and take over the second seat at Williams. Let's talk about all that. We'll talk about NFL Week 10. Niners will be uh, playing on Sunday night against the L.A. Chargers of Anaheim, Alameda, and all residing counties. We will preview the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, which will be Sebastian Vettel's last 299 and last race of his illustrious career. And um, all the other news that comes from the postseason test, which will be young drivers and then the drivers that are moving along, like Fred Alonso to Aston Martin taking over for Sebastian Vettel, and all the other things all come on from there. Talk about that here on episode 144. Um, thank you for listening to Gripster Podcast. Take care. Um, be nice to one another. Um, understand we're all in this together, struggling. Uh, the way life is so be nice to one another take care listen to this show like subscribe tell people about it we're more laid back we're more laissez-faire but we give you the information that you need uh, because racing is a family sport and that's what that's how josh and i were able to meet each other through a random page on facebook and that we were both kind of similar thinking and we're able to balance each other out in terms of how we looked at this sport. And we're together doing this thing. So it's the way life works.
people you don't have to agree on everything to be friends and you don't have to go and look at everything the same way to be to be able to go and enjoy the same thing but either way we're doing this because it's a passion because racing is fun it's awesome uh, being able to see cars go fast or or motorcycles or whatever go fast is fun so for josh and for thanks to clean call all again and for josh i'm phil Thanks for listening to Gripster Podcast. We'll be back next week. Episode 144. Getting closer to Thanksgiving. Gary, three years into this deal. We've been doing this deal, so it's something. Uh, Hopefully we can get to do more of this. Um, For that, take care. God bless. Goodbye.